0: Hello and welcome to the comics pals. We are live. Say hello if you are in the chat. We have with us today a very, very special guest. And I, this is a ahead. guest,
1: right? I was gonna say yeah. Marco looks different this
0: week. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not it's not Marco. We couldn't we couldn't oh. get Marco today. He's too big time for us. So we went in and and made a call to uh mm. we, we, we phoned a friend. Mm. It, and and I don't know if you, friend, have ever heard of these, these books, but uh, this person may or may not be the writer of The Flash, the writer of Green Lantern, the writer of Infinite Crisis, the writer of Blackest Night, Flashpoint, Forever Evil, Doomsday Clock, Junkyard Joe, Geiger.
2: Our friend today, our special guest is Jeff Johns. Hey, guys. Oh, my God. That list made me tired. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were hard said, out there. It's already a.m. And oh, my God. I was what like, if he said, no, I've
1: never heard of those. What are you <laughs> talking about? <laughs> well, that'd, be,
2: yeah, that'd be okay. I guess we got the wrong I, 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 guy. I can, I can pitch them all. I <laughs> the story's pretty well. Good morning, everybody.
0: So, uh, unfortunately, we did, we did uh, force Jeff to roll out of bed uh, quite early for this. So, a huge thank you. Uh, for agreeing to do this and for coming on, sure. Uh, yeah, so
2: what, what better thing to do on a Saturday morning at 7:15 in the morning than talk comics? So agreed. I'm excited. I
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly as someone who is awake at 10:15 a.m. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I actually uh, get up. Early. I actually get up early. I'm up at like six six thirty a.m. every day, but so it's not, not a, you know not easy. But I am going to drink Coca Cola to. To keep me, uh, mm-hmm. keep me awake. Hey, it's funny. That's you know, when that's when
3: Sean goes to bed.
2: Actually, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you guys have done this every Saturday for six, seven years. It's insane to me. Yeah, yeah we've Instead actually
0: of... never missed an episode.
2: That's so crazy.
1: Yeah, we really haven't.
0: No, we haven't. There's literally yeah. never been a week that up... we 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 are crazy. That's that's how we pull
1: it off. <laughs> oh, wait,
2: <laughs> I have to ask. So during the pandemic, when comics were coming out. Did you talk about how comics weren't coming out?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We talked yeah. about the industry. We, we pondered about the uh you know whether we were gonna see the end. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, oh
2: my god. Comics will never go away. It's like radio. Like it's always gonna exist in some form. Everyone always yeah. says oh, comics are gonna go away. I'm like, no, they're not. They're an art form. You can't you mm-hmm. can't negate an art form. It right. just exists. Like you can't destroy it. It's I gonna think- exist in some form.
0: I think for me the scariest thing, so like the pandemic was happening and it was all so terrifying. Yeah. But in my mind, I was like, well, at least comics. And then it was like Diamond said, nah, no comics. <laughs> yeah. And then DC said, no Diamond. And that I was like, Oh my God, no, is this the are these the end times? Um, but it actually has all worked out brilliantly for for everybody and it's been great. Comics feel like they're flourishing.
2: Yeah, th- yeah. Thankfully, I, I, I know that like every when I was growing up, they were out they were out Thursdays initially when I was a kid. And then they moved up to Wednesdays, which is like awesome. Like a, a, a day earlier. Amazing. But it yeah. was no matter how bad the week was at school. And there were some bad weeks. I always knew com- like we had comic book day. It got me through every- anything I anything I had to deal with in my life. Why I love comics so much. I always had that that Thursday and then Wednesdays that comic books were going to come out. So I, I totally understand that it's for me, it was a, a constant and I still love them so much. It was a constant kind of thing to look forward to. And, and having something to look forward to in life is key to happiness. Like, it's this key to mental health? It's key to everything. And comics for me were a big part of that. That's uh, what I'm missing. Yeah, knew it. Knew yeah. Was I gotta
3: something. say, once DC moved to like Tuesday releases, I was like, oh, an extra day of more comics. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. 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 Tuesday. Tuesday screws me up still. I'm like, wait. Yeah. They, like, should I go now or wait till Wednesday? Are they going to be like, what do I do? Yeah. But we Tuesday. stream
3: every Thursday too for the, when we talk about the new comics every week. So mm. uh, having that extra day to read, I, I super yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> That's
1: good. So go ahead, Gil. Jeff, sorry. Can I ask you a quick question? I don't sure. want to date you, but did you? Were you of the era pre comic book shops? Like, did you get your stuff from like uh, newsstands?
2: The first comics I ever bought, because I'm old, I'm old. I bought my first comic <laughs> book on a camping trip in Michigan. It was Batman the Outsiders, thirteen off a rack. Yeah, never forget that and uh, at some like. Like weird general store in the woods like if i remember batman and then i and then i started buying comics at like it was called it was like a hall like hallman's i think it was like a drugstore after school okay. and i but i think comic shops did exist i just didn't know there yeah. weren't any by me so we would just go there for probably the first like that was like 1984 it was old, a long time ago now like 84 right. the first probably year i bought comics i didn't go to a comic book store and then then there was I, we found one by me mm. that's when we had to use the yellow pages right oh my
1: goodness. yeah yeah of course you do you let your fingers do the walking
2: yeah right exactly <laughs> nobody knows what that means anymore but no.
1: <laughs> so we have
0: a million questions for jeff johns we are going to dive into everything that we have the time for until Jeff just gets up and says you know what I'm done with you guys no more questions please um we're gonna take full advantage of all the time that we have uh but before we get into the interview I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet of course we are the comics pals you type that into the google machine we'll come up if you want to watch this show live twitch.tv slash the comics pals every single Saturday at 10 15 a.m we talk about The happenings in the comics industry, the movies, the television shows, everything, comic book characters, we're all about it. Thursdays for Pals pulls. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, that's our show where we review comics. Marvel, DC, Image, Junkyard Joe, anything that comes out, if we're into it and you guys are into it, we're talking about it. Every single Thursday. Patreon.com slash the pals where for as little as three dollars a month you can support your boys and you get access to some pretty exclusive and cool content from us. Uh youtube.com slash the comics pals, subscribe for free, like the video, share it with your friends. All that's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Okay. That's Enough about us. You've ever done that, Sean. <laughs> that was
2: really, yeah, that was really good. That was very, very good.
0: Thank you. Uh I seven years uh been doing <laughs> it. Uh <laughs> so i, I do want to say also junkyard joe which is um the newest book that we're getting out of the I, are you calling it the geiger verse the unnamed verse what are you kind of internally calling it
2: we we call the characters the unnamed but geiger verse seems to like be super easy to say and we say it all the time so whatever 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 rolls off the tongue
0: okay fair enough yeah. um so junkyard joe is going to be dropping on October 5th. The, the, we're getting the first issue. So that's that's this uh, this Wednesday. So you can yeah. go out and, and grab that uh, this week. Um, we actually had the opportunity to read the first three issues of Junkyard Joe, And uh, we're going to talk about our thoughts. We were able to put out a spoiler-free review a few weeks ago. And uh, needless to say, without spoilers, uh, it, it's phenomenal. Um, when you go to the shop, to pick up your copy of Junkyard Joe, consider picking up the special black and white edition, uh, because that edition, the the proceeds of that, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but every dollar and cent, uh,
2: yeah. Every, gonna... yeah, every dollar and cent, and and also Mag Ghost, my company is going to donate another two dollars per issue that's bought. So that essentially, all the the cover price will go to these two awesome organizations, these two great charities.
0: So we have the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans in the U.S. and Veterans Aid in the U.K. Yeah, um, two great causes that need support. Um, and and thank you for doing that. That's that's an incredible well, thing.
2: It's mm. it's it came it came really out of the story. Is the story is really about this? You know, it starts in Vietnam, Vietnam with these soldiers that come across this bizarre robotic soldier, as crazy as it sounds, and then ultimately, but issue two, as you guys have read. It, it's the rest of the story takes place today and it's really about finding a place in the world after war and so thematically it ten- connected to this these stories and we all have you can see an issue one we all have veterans in our families and so it just mm. it was like let's do something else besides tell their story like let's actually get tangible money to people who need it and try and help them and and have fun and do entertainment but also you know give give back and we'll A way we could but it all is tied to the to what the book's about
0: right yeah absolutely and and that first issue after after reading through the first issue and uh seeing some of the brutality of the war the way you and i mean and oh my goodness gary frank frank oh Oh my god come on wow he's a genius phenomenal um brad anderson just everybody you guys yeah, i know are- brad
2: rob yeah. like yes. everybody everybody brought their i got the copies here this is a really cool uh, cover actually Ooh. but everybody mm-hmm. brought their a-game uh, to this um to this book but gary brad and rob i've worked with them and brian cunningham our editor i've worked with them forever and they this is the best work i've seen them do
0: and, and i did want to say thank you to brian uh, cunningham by the way for setting this all up and reaching
2: out to us
1: um See Give him a raise if he can.
2: <laughs> I will. Brian's. <laughs> on. I've known him for forever. He's an awesome guy. Cares about comics. Really big fan of yours too, and and, um, wow. and uh, really cool too. I, I just love working with him. It's it's a pleasure to always work with Brian. Really the nicest guys in comics.
0: That's beautiful. It's good to have him, you know, in house. Yeah. Um, seeing the the brutality of, of the war and what these characters go through. Um, And it felt like we were in there. We were in the moment with them. We're in the moment with them as they're kind of having conversations about what they miss from the world outside of war uh, and seeing, unfortunately, you know, not all of them make it. Um, And then juxtaposing that with, you know, the way you sort of ended it with the stories of your families and, you know, the people in your lives who are veterans or did serve um that made me tear up because even though you're not telling their stories in this comic book they or people who they know or knew they went through this Mm. they saw these things and there was no junkyard joe for them Mm -hmm. and that was hard to swallow
2: yeah, I, I uh it's it's interesting you say that because I got my comps this week and I read it again. I've been, you know I haven't read it cover to cover since for a while. Like I don't know if I've ever read it cover to cover because I worked on the story. Then we put all the stuff in the back together. So reading it from cover to cover, I was I was moved too because everyone's dedications at the end reinforced this emotional underpinning of the of this of the story. And then I thought some of the things were just beautiful. What what they wrote. I, it's really, I'm super excited. Like Steve Blackball is our designer, he designs all these, like, if you see the inside cover of the book, like, like, that's just the desk stuff, he does, designs everything. But he wrote a beautiful thing about his brother and his brother doesn't know he did it. And he's gonna he's just sending him the wow. book, and like, that's gonna completely move him, I think. But I was, I was really touched by whatever everybody wrote from, you know, uh, from the creative team.
0: Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh people in the chat, we will be uh asking appropriate questions for Jeff later on. Um, so hang tight on those. Uh we have stuff we want to get to and then we will absolutely get to your questions. Uh so I wanted to ask you, um, what about why why was it Geiger? Because you've kind of you've stayed in the DC um you know bubble, stable. yeah, the stable for pretty much your whole career you had some time at marvel and did you know a couple sure, things like that.
2: yeah i met gary at marvel yeah. yeah recent marvel i met two of my biggest collaborators right at marvel yeah 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 on right. avengers
0: and and, An and vision right
2: yeah yeah avengers and vision yeah
0: yeah um what w- why was this the idea i'm sure you've had a million you know ideas for something creator owned over the years why was this what sort of Pulled you out of that and into this space at image.
2: Well, after Doomsday Clock, like Gary and I have worked together on Avengers, Superman, Legion of Superheroes, um, Batman, Shazam, and then Doomsday Clock, which was like everybody. Uh, and and you know, from Doomsday Clock, it's like, where do we want to go next? And Gary isn't a superhero fan, by like, he loves superheroes, but he's not that's he didn't grow up like I think all of us on this. On this, you know, uh, uh, zoomed it or whatever, but he, whatever you call it, he um, <laughs> video chat yeah. this whatever this meeting. Uh, so he just loves story, and yeah. we had done all these stories about superheroes. I love superheroes too, and I love genre. You know, I don't just love superheroes; I actually love a lot of my favorite comic books. Are genre like Hundred Bullets because I I just don't do that, but it's one of my favorite books ever. Um. And so we wanted to do something, create our own. Like, what was the next thing? And we and I, I wanted to do something genre, but not superhero. Mm. And so, being uh, Gary has two two boys, and I have, at the time I was coming up with this idea for Geiger, I had I I had a son, newborn son, and he's six now, but um. But I remember the instinct of like how protective as a father you are over your child. And i wanted to kind of capture that in a kick-ass genre like cool cool character um and i had had this idea for historical heroes like i always liked the legend of paul bunyan and john henry and like like the old kind of like mythic tall tale yeah tall tales and so i wanted to kind of like i want to do my version of like genre tales there's that that timeline in the back of geiger And I Mm -hmm. wanted my version of, like, the unnamed. Like, these were characters that would stand right alongside Paul Bunyan and John Henry and Tommy Appleseed and these other mythic American heroes throughout history. And I had an idea how to take those and ground them and, like, and make them, I don't know, make them a little more gritty and real. And I wanted to start all the way at the end of the timeline, which is Geiger's time in 2050 even though that's going to factor into the other stories. So this timeline is going to introduce all these different separate characters, but their stories are all going to end up tying together in, in a way. Uh, it's kind of a long-form story, and, and I love long-form storytelling. So you read Junkyard Joe, and it doesn't feel... You're like, how does this even tie into the other stories? You don't need to know that yet, because it's its own complete story. Yeah. But um, But I had ideas for all these characters, and and geiger was the one I wanted to start with I wanted to start at the end because the end is actually the beginning which will make sense when all when they're they're all done um okay but it's like a it's a long form storytelling to build out this world of the unnamed and and geiger just it felt like the most visceral piece um and rather than start the the middle or this it, it makes sense for for what we're doing when we talk about the unknown war that triggers off Geiger's whole existence that that's kind of key to all of this, everything that we're doing from junkyard, Joe to red coat, to the other, the other characters that we'll be um, introducing.
0: So you, you, you've worked on, I mean, I I rattled off a list of, of events that you've done where I'm sure, you know, just due to the nature of, of big two comics, there's a lot of oversight and Hey, we need you to do this or that, or, you know, what have you. Working for Image on this and it being, you know, fully yours, creator-owned, you, Gary, and 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 everybody, has it been a different, a radically different experience for you working on something and basically being, you know, the final arbiter of what you guys can do? Uh, uh, what what has that been like?
2: Yes and no. I mean, I, I have to say, like my my, and it still is. I'm working with Andrew Marino as my ed- editor on the Justice Society stuff, the New Golden Age stuff. And the the freedom, creative freedom that I have is great. I love working with editors. I love collaborating. I I, like the worst thing about being a writer is being in a room alone. So Mm. boring. (laughs) So I love working with like, whether it be an artist or a director or an actor or an editor, I like collaboration. It's super fun. Um, So it's different in the sense that the thing I do like is that Gary and I can, just to be super honest, is like we can work enough ahead and then tell image when the book comes out. So we're never shipping mm. late, right? Like mm. that's, that's probably the thing that um, the control that we have on that with Doomsday Clock, we 100% would have been late anyway. But originally we were scheduled to start that book. It was going to come out like six months after it launched. So we lost so much time because they wanted the book to come out in the fiscal year. It, 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 you know, it, it kind of, it was hard to kind of try it. We could never catch up because suddenly like we're like, Oh, it moved up six months, the, the release. And so Gary and I were constantly, you know, oh. constantly like trying to meet these dates. And that book was it's 30 pages. An issue is dense issues. And yeah. again, we would have been late anyway, but not as late as it, the book ended up being. Um, so the, the scheduling is great. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's cool. The freedom's great, but I, I, I never really felt there's always things in the DC universe working at that, like oh, you can't touch this character, that character's going through this, or you can't do that. But, but I, when you work in there, it never bothered me because it was just it's, it's the universe you worked in, so I never felt like constrained by it. I never felt, oh my god, I can't bring blue devil in because they're doing something with them over here <laughs> yeah. you know I uh, I I'd never it just never really there was times I'm sure I was frustrated over the years so I couldn't do something or they wouldn't let me do something to a character but I I don't they they weren't they weren't kind of potent or powerful enough for me to even remember a specific example mm, okay uh, so I-, I feel like the freedom the freedom at DC. And it might've been partly because I work on such like (laughs) D-listers. They don't care. Like when I'm like, Hey, I want to use like, you know, can I use, uh, uh, I don't know, booster gold. Like when I was like, I want to do booster gold. They're like, good. please." (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else is going to do booster gold. So, uh, that, or Aquaman even back then, or Shazam, like I got like most of the time I always gravitated towards characters that were in the back of the closet, um, mm-hmm. and forgotten under a box, just because I I always I just have more fun with unlocking, you know, unlocking kind of forgotten heroes or inventing yeah. brand new ones alongside them. Uh, so the freedom, the, the working at Image and working at I love working at Image. I love Eric Stevenson and, and the team. Um, it's the best deal in comics for creator owned. Like you know, you own everything, IP wise and and character wise, which is is great. Um, it is like, but again, like the, I, I, there's characters that I created for DC that I, I look at and I'm like, I wish they do this with them or that with them. But the most important one, Stargirl, to me for personal reasons, and, yeah. and they've always been so respectful of that character that I, I, I've got, I really have no complaints. So working at Image, there's a lot of pluses and benefits, um, to it. Uh, but, um, but we, we've had, you know, it feels, and because I'm working with the same team, it feels pretty seamless, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, the experiences are, are, you know, are great.
0: That's a that's a beautiful thing. Uh, a, a lot of times, um, you know, we talk to creators and, you know, they'll kind of say like, oh, you know, playing in someone else's sandbox and, and stuff like that. One of the things that I love so much about your, your time in D.C. to now is that, while you are absolutely playing in someone else's sandbox, it, it, it feels like you've, you've curated your own sandbox. Like Blackest Night is very much a wider DC event, but it's a Jeff Johns event. And so it plays with the characters that you like to deal with and it deals with the themes that you're interested in. And so, you know, it, it, it feels more personal in that way because could, you, the reader can tell like it's your story
2: why well, I I mean like in blackest night um that was the whole green Lantern was is a very personal story about like kind of self- acknowledging emotion you know because I don't right. think mm-hmm. people um but on a big cool like you know epic intergalactic scale because it's super fun to watch that stuff but uh I always try and make my stories personal if I if I if I stumble it's because it's not personal enough and some mm-hmm. of my most personal mm-hmm. stories are small like, we were talking before we started, like the Superman, the Legion of Superheroes, which was Gary Frank and I's first arc on mm-hmm. Superman. That's a very, very personal story because it's about a kid, Clark Kent, who is, feels 100 percent alone. Mm. He's the only kid in the world that can fly. Right. Mm. And he feels like an outcast. He's an alien. He's, a, he's completely alone. And I felt horrible for him. We introduced this, this scene where he's just totally alone and he watches birds fly in a flock. Right. And then he meets the Legion of Superheroes and Mm -hmm. every single one of them has a flight ring. So he's flying with the flock. Like to me, the Legion of Superheroes, it's like when I moved from Detroit to Clarkston when I was in in fourth grade. Being alone and then finding your flock, finding your finding your friends, finding the people you connect to, like that's what Superman Legion of Superheroes was about is Superman reconnecting with his childhood friends, mm-hmm. helping his childhood friends, not forgetting his childhood friends and what they meant to him at the time, when what he needed. He needed them so badly. And I think it gave Clark as a teenager, the reason I love the Legion so much, it gave Clark as a, as a as a young teenager, a place to go where he could be himself in the 30, even though it has to be the 31st century. Um, but it was a very personal story because I could relate to that of, of feeling isolated feeling alone. I think everyone can just in some sure. respect, right, like we all can. So I try and have no matter what the story is, it always has to come from a personal place. And I try and connect it with, you know, whatever character I'm dealing with blackest night, even like, I, I we've all dealt with loss, I, I've hmm. loss and grief are in a lot of my stories, because just the death of my sister affected me so profoundly. And and I also know so many other people I've talked to over the years that have lost somebody, you know, um, before their time, or even at their time, it's still hard. Um, and Blackest Night was really about facing that facing death and, and not letting death overtake life, like, not letting it redefine life. Um, but every single story, I could rip it apart. And you know, the ones that are like, it, 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 they all came from somewhere personal. There's something even fl- like flashpoint's all about grief. And so is Flashpoint beyond same thing. It's all about grief. How do, how do you move on How do you move beyond grief? Well, I'm going ch- to I'm going to change the past. You can't do that. Right. You can't change the past. You have to kind of incorporate loss in your life. And in, once you understand that it's not going to ever go away, once you kind of understand that, like. It it, it it can be something you can use as a, a a strength in a weird way as 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 something to appreciate life more people more or do different things like it, it changes but but it's never going to go away and you have to kind of accept that it's really hard to get there and be like you know what grief and loss can be a good thing it's really hard because you don't ever want to feel like it can um but but once you accept that it's just it, You know it can't be changed i think you can utilize it to to make things better in a weird way that makes sense
0: it does because it's something that you know we have to face like as much as we might not want to it's what's going to happen in life and none of us are going to avoid that right like our parents you know are all going to pass on um and we have to find a way to make peace with that but whether you do or don't, it's gonna happen. So you might as well make peace with it. You might as well integrate it into your life and let it, you know, let it be something that helps you live life. Like honor their honor their memory.
2: Yeah, and it's it's tough because you don't like it's super some of this stuff is super hard to talk about. Super yeah. it can be difficult, it can be challenging, it can be you, you want to shut your brain up, which is why I like telling big bombastic like superhero stories on top of all this stuff it's way more fun to talk about that heavy stuff with the superheroes on, on the forefront or, or just cool characters but and celebrate things too it doesn't have to all be downer stuff And obviously you know super the superman's story i mentioned with legion is not about that but um but i do think like all good stories have that universal emotional kind of vibrational frequency right that connects with everybody like even conceptually, the, the, to me, the JSA conceptually, the reason I love them so much is that they, they echo into the past, into the future. And, and there's something super uh, therapeutic and, and positive about that, is that like, there are forces of like, there's so much good in the world, and that's gonna, you can't erase it, like, it's gonna always exist. Um, even when we see the news today which is so uh sometimes horrific to or often horrific to watch um you know there's you can't forget about all the good in, in the world you know by the way so, things as simple as a Kit Kat bar exists that's cool <laughs> <laughs> so, like it can be the small things that can be the big things like the fact that we have comics every week like celebrate the little things too like it's not all about the big, heavy stuff. It can't be. The life is actually about the day to day. So I, 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 by nature, I, I find the, the positives and, end the day, and I try and, you know, enjoy them.
3: Watch there be a new uh, comicbook.com article. Jeff Johns loves Kit Kats, like just, <laughs> just right and Coke, Coca Cola. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I do. I love all. I love both both those quite a bit.
1: Hates so, Pepsi and Snickers. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't say that.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, well, one thing that, I
3: – like, talking about this, it's it's great because, like, this is a central theme of Junkyard Joe. You know that that yeah. idea of loss, uh, which you know the the first cover, you're like, oh, it's like this is a, a cool war comic. You know, there's this robot yeah. soldier going on. It kind of like uh, transports me to like the idea of like you know the nom books from from Marvel, I believe, and uh, or like a like a Sergeant oh, yeah. Rock. Um, but it's about this indestructible robot guy um, who, who has to deal with war and and it's not about you know the you know this country versus this country it's really about the people have to have to really experience it so like having the main character be a robot is very interesting when you're dealing with that idea of
2: loss well the kind of, the, the thing with the robot is the reason that it's a robot is cuz robots you, you as Gary and I talk a lot about it, it he's emotionless mm-hmm. meaning that his face doesn't change so you can project whatever you're feeling on him. The robot is a proxy mm-hmm. for us, right? Junkyard Joe becomes us, becomes anybody. Um, he's a- any he- and can feel whatever you feel. He's feeling because you're projecting it onto him. So you're really building the story with us, and um, and it does represent. Like I think people and. and it's easy to see see why they would like most people probably assume it's just a war book like the first issue is like 1917 we're in Vietnam (laughs) when you go to issue and then it's all these veteran dedications and talking about it when you go to issue two it's as you guys know it's drastically different yep and issue three even more so and issue four five six all of it takes place today in this in the small town in Indiana so it's a very it's a I think it's going to be a surprising story for a lot of people you know, we start with, like, a real kind of violent introduction into the war. And then we get into this, like, the aftermath of it. Like, what happens yeah. after uh, after the bomb goes off? It's really about that. It's really about after. But the first issue, we had to have that first issue because you need to experience what Muddy and Joe experienced for the rest of the story to work. If I started a mm-hmm. series with issue two, like, it, it wouldn't work um, for me. It wouldn't work.
1: I wanted to ask about the sort that sort of transition and like there's not really there's not a ton of like preparation for the reader between issue 1 and issue 2 and that jump. Yeah. You know, it, it, like you say it, goes straight from war comic to now yep. and something very different. Did you, you know, did you have that in mind for for the yep. reader or is sort of the, um, you know, is that first issue is that, look, this is it. This is how it is. And then you have the, um, you know, your 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 family acknowledgments and, and the things you wrote about, you know, your your family. Is that, you know, is issue one meant to be like this capsule of this moment? And then you go to issue two and you can experience everything else.
2: And I mean, in a way, it kind of turned turn into that um yeah it's a bit of like a prologue right a really kind of yeah you could read issue one and that could be it right you could read issue one and have a kind of a full story a little bit yeah let wrap it up but um but it 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 was designed to be a an abrupt contrast to issue two like i wanted to go like from Mm. that to bam here he is and he's in his 70s now yeah. and it goes from a jungle which i love watching gary frank like let me just also talk about gary frank gary frank's art is so amazing and watching him draw super accurate 1972 vietnam jungle and then cut hard cut to there's a reason it's in the winter i wanted to go so mm. contrast everything mm. like what from a hot jungle in 1972 to a small town in the winter and there's all this white beautiful white well, city, you know
1: and, and gary frank really he decided to cash in on those page budgets you've had him uh writing yeah. for so long
2: <laughs> yeah exactly I mean that it took forever too with the jungle stuff. I remember he would he wasn't complaining about it at all, but he was like, "Man, this stuff is intense." Yeah, <laughs> but he loved it because you know one of the reasons again that we wanted to do these these aren't quite superhero books, but they could they feel like they could be right. They're they're I can't call them genre heroes, but they could be superhero books. But we wanted after Doomsday Clock to do something very different, and so going to the jungles of Vietnam or the deserts and you know, in Nevada after a nuclear holocaust, like they're, they're just a vastly different environment. or the small town in Indiana with the snow. Like it just, there's not a lot of comic stories that are set, you know, set in places like this. So, uh, another reason that we wanted to go off and create our own stuff was to, to build new, new worlds, new environments and, and, and explore things we haven't explored yet.
0: For anyone who hasn't read Geiger, uh, I I highly recommend that you go and and pick it up. It's out in hardcover. I'm assuming it's also out in trade by this point.
2: Oh, it's tra- Actually, only out in trade. Oh, only out in trade. Okay. Yeah. We tried to like we wanted everybody to be able to read it. Who wanted to read it? Um, we you know so uh, you know it's it's out in trade. It's a really cool cover.
0: I I've got this the single issues and nice. uh it's it, it's it's phenomenal and my favorite panel. In all of Geiger, and this is what was so exciting for me as a preface to my thoughts on Junkyard Joe, is from the fight between Joe and Geiger. Mm-hmm. And uh whenever Geiger ends up winning that fight, and we see Joe laying on the ground, and the last thing that he oh, sees, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: oh my god,
2: yeah, yeah, I- yeah. We we set up yeah, it's pretty really cool.
0: And and I and I said, "Wow!" When I first read it, I said, "I want to know everything about Junkyard Joe." Like I <laughs> like, who is this, right? And then this time, the reread, I said, "Wait!" I, I just happened to look on the back of issue one. Yeah, and I said, "Holy shit!" There's a Junkyard Joe comic strip on the back of this. Yeah, I didn't catch that. The first time that i read through this stuff yeah. so that got me so excited and then i read issue one of junkyard joe and i didn't expect what it was i didn't expect it to be what it was but what it did was it made me fall in love even more with this character who said no words and now i'm in this space where junkyard joe's my favorite character cool. of the geiger verse already cool mm. And it's, and it's so exciting. Issue one is so, so good. Um, if you like war comics, if you like comics that have heart, comics that are about something, comics with characters that are interesting and compelling, like it, it, it does so much and it hit me so hard. And then issue two somehow managed to hit me just as hard, but in a completely different way. And so I'm here to say I love what you're building out with these characters and how does it feel for you getting to sort of seed those moments, like putting that, that comic strip on the back of issue one with basically no context and sort of teasing stuff out and then having, Oh, here's junkyard Joe. Like if someone's been paying attention, this has significance to you. Same thing you would do at DC, but just here with characters that you created. What's that been like?
2: It's super fun. And actually there's a ton of junkyard Joe stuff throughout Geiger. Like, Geiger's son has a Junkyard Joe action figure. Right. Geiger in his library has a collection of Junkyard Joe strips. Um, Mm. We actually mentioned on the news, I mean, it's on the news, like, early on. Like, on this page right here, every book is talked about. That's in the Geigerverse right there. So it all all starts right there. So when you end up, and the thing that, uh, Gary and I did this on Superman where we did, Superman, Allegiance, Legion Superheroes, Superman, Secret Origin, and Superman Brainiac. And we designed them to be read in any order. Mm. So you can actually, the stories all stand alone and complement each other, but you can read them in any order because the Secret Origin and blah, blah, So these are somewhat the same way. They all connect and all tell a bigger story. But but seeding in that stuff, I love that stuff because it gives layers. And it's also, it's not just, you know, people call them Easter eggs. And I don't love that term because it, it kind of, to me, there's a throwaway. And nothing's a throwaway, mm. right? right? Like there's a reason everything's in here. Like there's a reason that you see Geiger's son have a Junkyard Joe figure, and then the kids he helps, that boy has one too, right? And it just kind of connects mm. it a little bit. But it, it also shows you, well, this was a pretty famous cartoon strip character, like Snoopy, you know, whatever. Like it was a character that, which my son's fallen in love with the Peanuts lately, it's so funny. <laughs> but um, but, uh, but I love the I love the idea that there's so much history to to Junkyard Joe as a as just a as a fictional cartoon strip in this world because he became really famous he became as famous as you know the Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes and everybody else in issue four we actually it's really cool because issue four opens up with something that that really is is exciting that we got that um that ties Junkyard Joe the cartoon strip into kind of this bigger world of cartoon strips too which I I can't wait for you guys to see it. Oh. I'm super excited for it.
1: So we're going to see Blondie and uh, the Zitz guys.
2: <laughs> You'll see something. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, really
0: so you, you did the 80-page the Geiger special, yeah. and in there we got to see a little bit of red coat, um, and then we also saw you know, all the different like casinos and, and the the, bo- the the bosses of those casinos and like sort of their origins and stuff like that. But you weren't, you and Gary weren't the only storytellers there. What was it like for you guys to sort of already let creators go haywire and, and, and start like telling the stories that they kind of want to tell within the, you know, within within your world?
2: Well, it was super fun. Like that was really, really did. I like, I love those old 80 page giants that DC did and um i really wanted to tell like a page giant that had all this geiger stuff in there and just for fun to build out the world a little bit and and work with a bunch of you know new talent and established talent you know friends i know that wanted to get in a couple that like leon Hendricks is a uh, screenwriter and he wanted to do comics so i said come do a story here and sterling gates and kelly jones did a cool story and th- there's just <laughs> so many great peter peter tomasi who i've i've um was one of my best is my best best friend um but uh, having all those, all those talent come in and, and play around and, and just, and it was very simple, like, hey, here's, here's a character, what would you do? And they pitch the story and then they go do it. And it was, it was super fun. It was really, really fun. And that red coat story was a lot of fun to do because I find him very charming, this character. I mean, we'll get more into it because Brian and I are working on the book, but he's a very funny character. He's, he's turned out to be much more humor humor based and I think Brian and I both thought cuz he's always trying mm-hmm. to talk his way out of something like he, he's a really good assassin but he do, he'd love to just talk his way out of a fight talk his way into a free meal like we're <laughs> really he's been around forever but he's he's like the worst he lives hand to mouth still he can't quite figure out why like <laughs> <laughs> a really funny character but it, we'll see more of him later but yeah it was it was fun it was fun i doing Putting together a book like that was really special because, and it took a long time too. Brian did a great job. Um, just because it was is it was working with people I love, you know that's and that's fun. It's always fun.
0: Is is Code still due out this year?
2: We'll probably we'll probably bank a few more issues before we solicit it, just because we want to ship on time when we do announce it, mm. or when we do start shipping. Like Gary and I have been very just again because of our Doomsday Clock schedule, we really wanted. Gaier to ship on time, Junkyard Joe to ship on time. We've been working on it for quite a while. So it's all done. Like You guys have seen three issues already done and yeah. fourth is about to be done. So we really just want to get on schedule. And Brian's the same way. He's busy working on some Marvel stuff at the same time. So he's going back and forth. But when Red Coat is like our 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 goal probably is to get it out. I think I'd like to have Joe come out and then have Red Coat start right after that. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. we'll see. I just want to have enough issues in the can so it comes out monthly. Like, like Geiger and Joe, we just wanted to come out on time.
0: Yeah, that's, that's super fair. Um, with, with Geiger, you, you know, you talked about adding something personal. Um, and you talked about the personal element of Geiger for you being a father, you would do anything to protect your children. The, the, the commentary or the, the critique that I feel like we're seeing within Junkyard Joe and Geiger is sort of like, a, a commentary on the violent delights of America's history. And when we come into Geiger, it's like the violent end. Like this is the, this is the worst possible result of all of the transgressions of humanity to this point in time. And then junkyard Joe is, is a juxtaposition of that with war and seeing how we throw everyday people. Junkyard Joe's not an everyday person, but everyday people into this horrific and brutal uh you know they call it a theater but uh it's very very real what about those elements are personal to you in terms of your interests or the way you think about things what are you bringing from yourself to that portion of the story
2: you're actually sean you're hitting on kind of like the overarching story that we're building with these is the where are we going right Mm -hmm. where and where are we going and why and 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 how can we, how can we fight back and make sure we don't go that way? Like, how can we solve big, gigantic things we're facing as, as people, all people, right? Like, just as, as humanity, Um, it's a much headier, bigger thing, but it's something we all think about. We're all kind of bombarded by, but you're hitting on exactly, exactly the, the, the violent kind of outbursts that, that plague our. Our, our 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 past and present and future and and how we're gonna where they they might lead and how we gotta face them it, it's it's actually what the bigger story is about over the course mm. of several other stories so that's exciting yeah I... it's like it's like it's kind of like the similar like you have rebirth and Sinestro core and blackest Light, and they all kind of build the story it's a similar just in terms of structure very different story but. It is like pieces that that come together and form an overarching, you know, overarching mm-hmm. journey that I think will be really. It'll introduce a lot of kick-ass fun characters and and hopefully it'll it'll, you know, it'll have a good, you know, my stories tend to. Uh, you know, I lean towards the positive by the end because it just is uh, what I do. But, um, but you you've you've, shockingly hit on something mm-hmm. that. That is, uh yeah it's what it's what's it for why we're doing it i can't wait
0: guy the the world of geiger that's being built out here i don't know if i've ever been excited as excited for like a new a new world being built out like i missed the early days of say for example uh ultimate marvel where everything was so exciting and new this feels like that in the sense that are so many new i mean the ultimate characters aren't new characters they're marvel but these are brand new characters in a brand new story and then it's it also just happens to be one of the greatest creative teams ever assembled so it's like you're assured quality like it's 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 so exciting
2: thanks well that's why we're trying to do it really meticulously like we want every issue to feel like when you pick up junkyard joe one you're like everyone put everything they have into this book. Like mm. this is the highest quality we could possibly make. We want this stuff to be like, there's so many comics out there. We want it to stand out for, for the craft, you know, the level of craft that we put into it and the, the care we put into it. Um, Cause it really is like, we've done a lot of books. Uh, Gary and I specifically, like we look back at our, our, our trades or our stories and there's every one of those, I'm like, I'm proud of every single one of those books and Gary and I are like we want to keep the quality and the storytelling we want to keep evolving it but still staying like to basic you know basics of like what why we love comics, great characters, thrilling adventures, action and stories like we don't want to like stray from that because that's what we love, but we want to keep trying to deliver quality books like quality stories, quality, so at the end, you know, we can, I want to be able to be able, able to hand someone Junkyard joke. If they say, what do you do? Well, this is what we do. It's always gotta be the newest one, right? Like the
4: hmm.
2: you want to be product of, of the newest one, because you hmm. want to trying to make them better and better. And, but at the very, at the very least, you know, we're not, we're not just phoning this in for sure. Like, obviously we're, you know, there's there, it's pretty meticulous and, and we're really dedicated to it. We want to make it, we want to make it great and you know hopefully it comes out in a in a in a decent time frame for everybody but but we were trying to make the quality stand apart from the rest of the books on the stands
0: i want to reiterate that uh junkyard joe number one does drop this wednesday october 5th so if you are uh, going to be heading to your comic shop pick that up pick up the the black and white edition pick up both pick up the pick up your favorite cover and grab the black and white edition all the proceeds from the black and white go directly to uh two different charities the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans in the United States and Veterans Aid in the UK so a good cause and good and good comics you can't really go wrong with that can we talk DC a little bit
2: let's do it of course i love talking DC <laughs> my my passion <laughs> that, that and that and he-man where when, oh interesting
0: where's yeah, the I, he-man I, comic
2: oh my god well i i uh i created a he-man figure mattel asked me like years ago um called sir Laserlot. uh i was like why don't they have a knight they need a knight um <laughs> I, I grew up i grew up uh like that cartoon was out when i was growing up and I, all the characters were so cool looking yeah Crap, more job, of a, crap score and many faces—all those char- weird, weird characters.
3: You more of a Mossman or a Beastman kind of guy?
2: You know what? My brother had both. Nice. We always commented, like we we're like, what a ripoff! Like they're just same, right? The same, like mole. <laughs> but Mossman had the had that. What do you call it? There's a there's a term for that soft, like velvet uh, stuff people flo- put on flocking?
4: Oh flocking. yeah, flocking, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> flocking, which is yeah. such a weird word to me, but um yeah uh i i think probably Beastman, but moss yeah. man i remember when my brother got him he was so rare you know it's hard to find moss man i was like, like what other toy line got away with like just reusing like reusing <laughs> the exact same like exact same kind of character and just covering them in green mo- and people we were like cool <laughs> like i don't know if there's another toy line that ever did that is there I think funk. I have a
3: flocked uh, Funko Swamp Thing that I'm pretty sure they did a normal Swamp yeah. Thing too. Yeah, well, that's like just a specifically
2: of the same character. Character. Yeah, true. But that's yeah. that's a version of the same character. This was actually they're trying to pass mm-hmm. off <laughs> a, a, a Green Beast Man as a flocked Green Beast Man as a brand new character. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that was pretty hardcore.
1: And it worked, I guess. It
2: worked. It did, yeah. it worked. <laughs> anyway, I think
1: like the red and pink Power Rangers.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yes, yeah, they mm, probably did yeah back
1: when they're they were all insanely muscled
2: yeah yeah they and i guess he-man they reused a lot of i think like merman and Zodak had the same arms and like (laughs) Zodak had thin arms and i was like why is his arm why are his arms thin like man do you have do
0: you probably have one of the greatest toy collections ever is that is that accurate
2: uh no i i mean i've given away so many toys over the years whether it's like at signings i just gave a ton away at a signing or um or just to like goodwill or mm. you know mm. I, or or just kids co- like there was a kid that came over i don't know some point and i literally was like here's three boxes of mattel dc characters because I had them but i've got like this the toy collection i have like i have most most of the dcu animated i really like those characters oh like those yeah. Characters. yeah and i've got um a giant he-man collection uh and um some old star wars but but not not much not much new stuff i have i have a collection my comic collection is much more impressive than my oh well, i i Come bet yeah, <laughs> for
3: like for like trick-or-treaters are you just giving away boxes of toys and comics yeah i,
2: I like, by the way like i had sterling uh you know sterling gates a good friend of mine and a, and a writer like i i he came over i was like pick whatever you want he took a bunch of stuff <laughs> like jeez
1: yeah. uh not not to uh flex too hard and drop a name but uh, at, at my old university, the University of Dundee uh, Grant Morrison used to just send us his um, there, his there. comps there, 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 sorry Grant sent us their uh, comps so we just our comic library was all Grant Morrison throwaways basically
2: Grant's the best my favorite I mean, comic book writer like yeah. yeah, my favorite comic book writer by far, Grant Morrison
0: i met grant once and they it was at new york comic-con and i had been waiting for that moment ever since i read their run on batman like the very first issue i read i was like oh my god i can't there's a revelation and i went up to them with a friend of mine and i was shaking i was so excited (laughs) and i said to them like I just wanted to say like thank you for all the work that you you've done in comics and particularly with Batman you you know you you saved my life that came it came it came out at a time when I really needed it and like you saved my life. And like I said, "Hey, how are you?" Grant goes, "I know." <laughs> and I said <laughs> I didn't say it. I was just shocked and and then they, uh, Grant said, "You know, I I I think that there's a thing that happens when you tell a story where it's almost like you're reaching out and when oh. it hits and it connects that's us sort of reaching each other and it happens across the world so when i was doing that i knew that it would it would be impactful for people or why do it yes and i cried uh jeff i i cried because it was
2: just so, it just hit me so hard like it, it, oh my god it, it's exactly it's exactly what what you you want to do through comics when you're writing them because comics are like the comics are this right such a personal experience for a comic book you read it at your own pace it's the only right like, movies and tv shows just they have their pacing comics you read it your slow fast you take it in how you take it in they're so personal but they and i think they're written by like a lot of people like me and 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 kale i don't know you know how you got into them but like it was it was a it was initially an escape well it was initially an escape right it was initially like yeah, yeah. an escape and, and a way to connect and then it became a, came, became my connective point to my friends and' ultimately it, there's something special about the connection with comic books like what other what other passions do you have where people pay pilgrimage to it and go like in pop culture and go to like conventions and 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 talk and meet yeah. people but to me, comics were all have always been me writing and trying to connect with people. Um, there was a, a San Diego one similar to your experience with Grant. Um, this this guy came up after I think Green Lantern panel. I had written Green Lantern Rebirth, and he said a similar thing. He said it got him through a really dark time. Rebirth to to overcome his fears and blah blah blah. And and he found hope, and he was really moved by it, and I was moved by it. And his name was, um, I said, "What's your name?" He said, "Brady Walker." And so I actually, I actually named Saint Walker after Saint Brody Walker after him, because oh, he spoke to, to me. So that's where Saint Walker's name came from. Um, wow! And uh, um, it was a really a special. That was a really a special. Uh, moment, but but it is what you want to connect with. And by the way, from just making someone laugh, like there's a line in the new golden age, I'm like, there's, that's just funny. I'm like, I hope this makes people laugh. Like, I just want to make people laugh. Mm. And then there's certain things you're like, you want to connect and share experience with or share a, you know, heartbreak with or a, a, you know, a swelling cheer moment. I love those moments. You're like, yes, like, oh, you want to like, experience give people like this. Kind of get them out of their seat moments you know i love doing that in comics too but i completely agree with grant like he is one thousand or they is one he, uh one thousand um, uh, percent exactly right about how stories connect with people yeah
0: uh i'll i'll, I'll never i'll never forget that interaction just because it was just like oh my god my idol um oh and, and by the way i fully expect since we we talked about toys a little earlier, I fully expect a junkyard Joe toy down the road at some point, and I will put there it.
2: Already is one in the works. Oh, so, <laughs> I can't say anything else about it, but actually, I'm working with somebody right now already. So,
1: so we okay, we Tom expect it in the mail then.
2: That we... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, you guys will get. You'll get something. <laughs>
0: So we 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 got on a tangent but I, I did want to bring up DC. Um so you've actually been you, you started off as as a young buck but now you're you're kind of no one fan. of the well you know, <laughs> listen I didn't want to say it but uh it's been it's been over 20 years. And yeah. which is remarkable to think about um what are your what can you say about like the early days of getting started at DC and, and kind of what that was like those first few books and those first few years?
2: Well, when I first pitched Stars and Stripe, I was working actually I'm on the Warner lot right now in, in my office. There's an office uh, uh, okay. building Dick Donner worked in this building um, so mm. I, that's why I wanted to be in this building because it was it's where I worked in the when I first came out here. So when I was working for him, uh, I pitched Stars and Stripe. DC and they bought it originally it was going to be a miniseries and they turned it into a monthly book uh, still got cancelled right early on like issue 14 but uh, um, getting in there I, I didn't think it was going to be uh, I always loved comic books and wanted to write comic books but I didn't think it was going to be a thing that was going to take over my kind of lifetime the way it did so when I did Stars and Stripe, I thought, oh, cool, I'll do this one comic while I work for Dick and do this other stuff. And then they offered me, then James Robinson was leaving JSA and David Gore didn't want to write it, write it by himself. He wanted to work with someone. And I had met with him because they asked me about Star Spangled Kid, which is what Stargirl was called back then. Mm-hmm. And so he said, hey, James is leaving. Do you want to co-write this with me? And I thought, sure, I'll do it for as long as he wants me to. Then they offered me Flash. For six issues, uh, and that's my favorite character, and that was my dream when I was a kid. I'm like, I just want to write the Flash comic. Once I write the Flash comic, I'm done, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) fulfilled. And so, uh, I like that's kind of the first. And then Flash became a monthly gig, and that was right after Mark Wade left. And I don't think anyone else wanted to kind of follow Mark. Um, And Mark Mark Wade, another brilliant writer. Mm. uh, Yeah. one of my favorites in the business and a great guy, too. Um, but ultimately, uh, something happened where the person that was going to take over Flash didn't. So they asked me to stay on. That's when Scott Collins came on. And suddenly I was writing these books. Star Girl got canceled. Or Stars and Stripe got canceled, but I was doing JSA, The Flash. I wrote a Beast Boy miniseries and then also um, a couple other things for DC and then uh, somewhere around there hawkman started the marvel at offered me the like i did the thing miniseries and the avengers and suddenly i was writing all these comics and it was taking up more time than like my day job and dick mm-hmm. was like oh we're gonna push this movie i'm not gonna direct this movie for a year and i was like i love dick but i, I was like i don't want to like get his car washed and order you know LL <laughs> l Bean for a year um so because that's what you do as a personal assistant when you're not you're not shooting and mm-hmm. uh and ultimately i had so much work to do that after i'd worked for dick for about four and a half five years and uh i said i'm gonna go be a full-time writer because it was i was starting to now do more writing work at night and on the weekends than i could handle because it was so much um and i work a lot because i love work but this was just too much so it, getting into comics was uh the kind of explosion of work that happened when i initially got in was I was really, really lucky. Very, very, very very fortunate.
0: And you connected with audiences. I mean, it's one of the, and I think this is fair to say, one of the hottest starts um, in in comics to where you kind of went from, you know, Stars and Stripe, and then, you know, this Flash run that everybody loves, this JSA run that everybody loves, and then, you know, into sort of getting the, Getting the hot tag and, and and doing events, you know, Green Lantern and, and Infinite Crisis and all this stuff. And it must have been so exciting for you to, you know, to have been that kid that was, you know, reading Flash and everything else and being so excited and loving these characters to then being the person who's dictating sort of where the entire multiverse is going at DC, yeah. driving the ship, so to speak.
2: It, it, it was a really fun time. I mean, Greg Rucka, uh, one of my favorite writers too. Um, really great writer. Uh, he was so inspiring when he did his detective run. It was so good uh, with Sean. Um, but uh, it was a great time because there were so many great people there, like great creatives coming up. I was really fortunate to be working alongside people like Greg and J- Judd and Ed. and Jeff Loeb was at, Mar- at DC at the time, mm-hmm. Marvel. Um, Dan had just come in the Dio mm. and get like all these, like, he was crazy. So it was, was up <laughs> for anything. And would be like, let's relaunch Titans and do this and that. And uh, it was a super exciting time. Definitely. And the events, you know, I, I, they just kind of happened. I never like was like, I'm going to write an event. Like I never really thought mm. about, about like writing events, but I found that events for me, the reason I, I I liked them is that I could elevate other characters within them. Because it was always like Batman events, Joker's last laugh, it was always kind of based on these big things. And I was like, well, I wonder if we can do a Green Lantern event. That would, you know, so Green Lantern's at the center of the DC universe or Flash is at the center of the DC universe or the villains are the center of the DC universe. That to me was exciting is to like, mm. like with Blackest Night taking Mara who had been on the shelf for yeah. decades really and elevating her and putting her alongside Green Lantern and Flash and then Mara was there and you're like, and making her because Aquaman wasn't around so she could just stand on her own and be a cool character. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, th- those were, those were really exciting times. I remember I did Day of Judgment. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was like, literally, I just heard comics and Mike Carlin called me and said, hey, do you want to write this thing called, I forget what it was always oh, going to be a miniseries where Hal Jeremy comes a Spectre and I was like, I don't know. Um, but ultimately he pitched it to me and I said, and I, this is my deal. Blue devil was dead. I'm bringing up blue devil again. Blue devil was dead at the time. And I'm like, if I can bring blue devil back, I'll do it. And he's like, oh. I, he didn't like blue devil for some reason. And I'm like, that's, that's the deal. And I don't know why I had kind of like, I don't know why I said that. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. like young, like young, like kid coming up in comics. But I was like, I'm going to like die on the Hill for blue devil. <laughs> yeah, No, but I did. And and we brought him back. It was it was hilarious. I really love that character. I don't know why I love that character so much. Probably because I just remember reading his book when I was a kid. But um, he was a fun character. He's a really fun character. But anyway, the D- Day of Judgment was actually the first kind of event I did, and it wasn't so much an event. I remember it was it was called Hell on Earth, and they said we can't sell a comic that has Hell in the title. I was like, okay. <laughs> they changed it to D- Day of Judgment, but that was the first kind of tiny event. And even in that, I'm like, well, I mm-hmm. want to use it to like elevate Faust who I like from outsiders this really obscure. Um,
1: yeah. Obscure, Felix. Like,
2: son, yeah. Son of oh, no, the son of Felix Faust. He was like this really obscure character called Faust. He was the son. He was a good guy. And, and having him teamed up with blue devil. Cause I just liked the idea of the Faust, like the Faust and the devil. It just sounded cool. Mm. So I was like, I got to bring those and Katana. I love Katana. From my Outsiders, because again, because I read Outsiders, my first comic. So Katana to me was like as familiar as like, you know, Aquaman. Like I thought Katana was like a main character. She's fighting more like with Batman. Um, so anyway, the, the events, I always saw them, even from the very beginning, as ways to elevate characters that were off to the side or forgotten. Um, that was some of my favorite things to do is always to bring in characters like that, like even on flash when I got on that the rogues had been discarded for years. Like the one thing that Mark didn't really do was a lot with the rogues. And I'm like, well, cool. I can do some stuff with the rogues. And I, I brought captain cold back and heat wave and yeah. all the characters back to try and make them, you know, make them interesting again.
0: We did a, so we do a book club here. And the last one that we did, it was actually picked by the listeners was blackest night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happens that we're interviewing you the same week that that came out. That was just happenstance. But when we when we uh, did that book club, we talked about how you have a sort of like it, it's almost like a cinematic presentation of of comics. Uh, the dialogue and the scene structure um, it, it it feels big. You know, it feels big. It feels cinematic, and uh, I I was wondering if that's if you attribute that in any way to sitting under the tree of Richard Donner, and you know, if that if, if if there are lessons that you've learned from working with him, um that you have translated into your comic work.
2: Yeah, I mean a lot of this definitely definitely this like kind of being trying to be more cinematic. And by that, it's just like letting things breathe. Yes. I tried to do that on the Star Girl TV show too, is like just let let things breathe a little bit. Let the that let the characters live in the moment. Let let like there's as much or more to be said in silent panels as there are in panels filled with a thousand balloons of dialogue. Like when people walk down a hall, if they walk down a hall and you have panels of them considering to open a door, you want them to open the door so much more than if they just walk down and open the door. Like if you have them stop at the door and look at the door and think about it and then close on the doorknob and then they crack it open and there's another all these panels, you start to just want to go in more, you know? And I think the cinematic from this, it's not just scope. It's not just right. like the beautiful Brian Hitch widescreen stuff that he did throughout his ultimates and all his work, which is amazing. Um, it's not just like the, the cinematic doesn't just mean big. It also right. means take your, like live in the moment, live with these characters in TV. I call it like, there's lean back TV or lean in TV. Mm-hmm. Lean back TV is when just you have chatter, 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 ch- like you're like I'm gonna check my email. I'm gonna like because they're telling you what's about to go on, what's happening, and what happened. Instead of mm-hmm. just like movies in the cinematic like kind of space, I often find and a lot of TV shows do it more, especially streaming. It's more lean in TV. Mm-hmm. You're like, what's happening? What's mm-hmm. what's going to be in that door? they're taking their time why is that guy scared to go down the hall and the light switch doesn't work and he like that takes a lot of panels in comics Hmm. and and panels are like they're like gold right like you only have 20 to 22 pages on average to tell your story so every panel's like that's that's like it's gold so you got to take your time you know when you want to live in emotional moments and really have things impact people you need to you need to let let it just take up pages in space so it's the widescreen stuff it's the slowing things down and even in junkyard joe there's a lot of there's a lot of play like places that are cinematic it takes a while for him to just even walk up and and put on his suit because you want everybody to go oh my god and watch it and you don't see him mm-hmm. but you can see it's impacting everyone around him now if you just have like things blow up and then there's a splash of a robot you don't get all that intrigue all that you don't feel like everyone around him is like holy i can't swear on this i don't think but holy you God, can, can if you yeah. want to <laughs> I'll try not to <laughs> but anyway anyway but um i don't know if that makes sense but it, it, it's it's i think people misinterpret some, sometimes cinematic as big uh mm-hmm. it's partly that but it's also partly t- it's a- also partly pacing you know Brad Meltzer did it brilliantly on Identity Crisis. If you look at Identity Crisis there's these emotional beats and he just stretches them out for pages on end and they impact you because of that. I'll never forget yeah. when Tim Drake's dad was killed. Yeah. And yep. that page with him and Batman your heart breaks because they're racing there. They're racing there. And he just stretches that out. That's so cinematic because Again, TV, I feel like most TV, and it's it's gotten so different with streaming because they're like little movies now, but a lot of TV, they're just wall-to-wall dialogue and you never get to like live in, you never get to sit with a character and, and feel something, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and that's that's something I tell everyone writing, like don't blow by your emotional moments. That's why you're telling your story. Your emotional pages should take up as much space as your action because that's where you live. That's where you're gonna feel and fall in love with the characters. So Dick Donner, when he would talk about story, it's always heart, always heart. And I feel like people write from four places. You write from your brain, your heart, your muscle, which is like what's cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And your gut, which is like your unique, that's unique to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I always try and lean with my heart and you have your brain check the logic but there's people who lean with their head, and it's super, it's structured really well, but you don't feel anything. Like it's mm-hmm. really intellectual, but you just don't, you're not moved by it. And there's also people that are all all muscle, and it's just like action, 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 great splash pages, and, and you're like, okay, it's it looks cool, but you don't feel anything, you know. And and I I always try and lean with my lean forward my heart because that's that's what Dick, that's what Dick did. Um, but you know that's the. Anyway, I could I could ramble on about writing forever, but 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 yeah, it's it's the cinematic, you know, Dick's influence, cinematic influence. But it's really about emotion. You want people to feel something you want. You want to kind of stir something up in them.
0: So I think we just got Jeff John's jewel number one, which is don't blow past your emotional beats for all the for all of us that are writers and want to break in and do all that stuff. That's Jeff Johns jewel number one. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not the only one we're going to get uh, throughout this conversation.
2: You know, you know what I do is I'll, I'll show you kind of something I do. And I do this on just cause we're talking about it. Yeah, I, please. I, I, I do this on all of my stories. I draw this little arc up on my, I have a giant whiteboard here. Um, and I draw this arc. Right. Like that. Mm. And I always say that I draw this arc and I put this asterisk. And I'm like, what's the most emotional moment in the story? Mm. because it's not, it doesn't happen on, on, you know, if it's 20 pages, it doesn't happen on page 10, but you're building, everything builds to that moment. And then everything comes off of that moment. That moment might be your splash page at the end of your issue. That moment might be at the beginning of your issue, but whatever it is, you need to know what your, if you know what your most emotional moment is, your North star, it tells you what the whole story is. tells you Mm. everything, you know, it tells you the entire story. Um, and and I do that for every I do that in the Stargirl writers room I do that in I did that in the flash writers room when I was in there season one when we broke break story I would do that like I'll, I'll you know I I think that's kind of for me it's paramount because if I know that moment I know the story because the story just automatically feeds that mm-hmm. that emotional kind of North star it, it, it's funny because that's
3: usually how I've been taught that I went to school for screenwriting as well. is like same arc, but that's the climax of the plot, which emotional climax and plot climax, not necessarily the same thing. So yeah,
1: the, that's the funny because one. I just started screenwriting school <laughs> and my professor literally this week said that will be your death or your sex scene. <laughs> Cause that's, <laughs> those are the most emotional moments.
2: Hopefully I, not the same I, at the same time. I don't totally agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I do in some sense, I don't totally agree with that. They can also be, you know, overcoming something or facing yeah. something or yeah. a million yeah. different things. Like, I because I've, I've written so many on the, and I get specific. Like, for there's a, uh, the Flash Captain Cold episode where we introduced Captain Cold, I remember it was the moment Barry found out that the cold gun was created to stop him by his friends. Mm. Because it was a betrayal. Oh, yeah. so I was yeah. like, you're going to build this mystery of where this thing come from. This guy who has this—where did it come from? And then Barry learns he didn't build it. You guys built it. You didn't tell me, and you knew it. In case wow. I, got, like, in case I, in case I use these powers the wrong way, but you didn't tell me this. And so there was like, so suddenly now is it, it was okay. That's the most emotional moment for Barry Allen. So it was, th- that's that's what I try and do with every every issue, every story, every script. With Stargirl, we did it. every episode. We break it was what's the most emotional moment for the episode. You know it's whatever it would be it's oh when courtney's courtney realizes her father is just there for the locket and leaves her sitting alone on a stoop and she realizes you know it's the moment she knows her father doesn't love her like Hmm. that's rough right so you build up everything is oh my god she thinks they're going to connect she thinks they're going to connect she thinks they're going to connect the audience thinks they're going to connect and then he crushes her heart boom that's it and then everything coming after that is she finds support from Pat in his arms, Mm. you know, her stepfather is there for her when her real father's not. And then Pat tracks the guy down and says, don't come back here. And then the guy's even a bigger asshole. And so Pat slugs him and knocks him on his ass. So and then Courtney has to. Courtney has to. Be reminded why the staff chose her, that she is worthy of something. Right. Mm. And then she does and she can pick the staff up and it works again because she knows she's worth something even if her father doesn't think so and so there's there's uh, the emotion of those stories the emotion of everything even in these bombastic giant gigantic events it's it's it happens and forever evil seven i I remember it it was it was when when bizarro died yes it is a death it is a death tale in that in that in that scenario bizarro died and luthor is pissed and someone says It was just a monster, and he's like, But it was my monster. Yeah. Go was freaking nuts and helped save the day. So it, it, like I, I, I always and then because I knew that was gonna happen, I could build this relationship with this bizarro throughout where you started to see this, you know, you started to see this um this bond developed between Lex and Bizarro, which I, I really I really liked. And that was a that was a really important part of that story. Um anyway again i'm probably rambling so i
0: I, i'm so happy that you mentioned that exact moment from forever (laughs) evil because forever evil is my favorite dc event and i reread it last night and when i got to that moment again i was like oh my god like oh like i just got chills because you built up this you know bizarro i don't have a connection to bizarro and that was not the original bizarro. That's the new 52 Bizarro, which is slightly different take. And so to have it essentially be introduced inside the, the the Forever Evil pages and then have this huge emotional moment where all of a sudden I care so much about this character that I've never thought about really. I was like, oh my God. Oh Bizarro, please come back. You know what
2: I'm saying? Well, I I I also it's it's so much more impactful for me because it's lex yeah she cares about something like i feel like if you can get lex to care about something you're with him as an audience member because he was the hero of forever evil right right so if you could you know i use that term loosely but so that when that connected that that point happened you were like yes and then also like in that you emotionally you make the i I tried to make the crime syndicate so unlikable like so horrendous that when they were slaughtered by the Legion of, the, the, the Secret Society of Super-Villains of the Legion of Doom, like, you were like, good. Like, kill them, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, kill, step on Atomica, do it. Please, kill them all. Um, can, I, can
0: I ask you who was, cause the crime syndicate for people who might not know, like they're from a different earth and yeah. they are essentially like funhouse mirror versions of the Justice League that we know and love. Yeah. Um, to the point where like this version of Superman called Ultraman, like he, he kryptonite, he like uses it like it's not bad for him. Well, it's yeah. bad for him, but it's like he uses it as fuel to some degree. Yeah. What which one of these characters from the crime syndicate was your favorite to write? Because I felt like you were having so much fun.
2: They were all really fun because they're so twisted mm-hmm. in a fun way. And I was like and I knew that I was going to kill them in very kind of Tales of the Crypt, like horrendous, <laughs> like come up in ways so i want i could make them as dark and twisted as possible johnny quick was a total yeah. blast right because he was such a prick um <laughs> he was such a prick. power ring because he's such a coward was fun oh to write God. like mm.
4: they were
2: all they were all really fun right uh, every every single one of them um that they, they storm oh death storm was hilarious yeah death storm was funny too he's yeah, Death Storm has always been funny since Blackest Night. Um, they're all really fun to write, but but I think Johnny Quick and Powering probably because they're they're so um heightened, you know, like yeah. such like to have a coward, like have a real coward be there is is, and, and as pathetic as he was, I thought that was really fun. You know, sometimes the characters that are the that are the most, I think like on their person their personalities like pop the most like Larflees. like they're so some mm-hmm. characters are, are like are so compelling they're also hard to write because they have such a specific voice in my head like johnny quick i remember i get into his character and i have to like you have to kind of work your way in, and then once you're in you're in you yeah. know please was the same way i'm like okay if i didn't write him for a month i'd get back on the character i'm like it took me like a little while to get into his head again mm-hmm. i remember when i wrote him in the last issue of green lantern and i hadn't written him in like six months or a year and i had it took me like a whole day for like mm. three lines of dialogue, I'm like, oh my god! Like, why is this so hard? It's because I had not; it'd been like two years since I written the Larfleeze Christmas special, uh, so I I had a hard time getting in their, their headspace. But, um, but yeah, they they were syndicate was really fun. Thank
1: how do them. you how do you in those moments, you know, like you were just describing with Larfleas, How do you find your way back in?
2: Eventually, you just. I just eventually I I figure it out. Um, There have been times where I'm like, I don't know if I was in at that moment. I think I was, but I I know when I am, there's times where I'm like, I think I am, I'm not sure. But it does, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes I have to move on to something else and come back to it. Sometimes (laughs) I don't do it and see it until the dialogue, I see the black and white with the dialogue and I'm like, nope, that's not it. And I get back into it that way. Um, Like right now, like I'm into someone's head in the new golden age, because it's from their point of view and the one shot and and their dialogue has kind of taken over the issue. And I'm glad, like, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm on this clip and it's, it's happened. Mm -hmm. It's done. And now it's, you know, can move on to the next thing. And, um, uh, but it is, you know, I think every writer knows you kind of know when a character takes over. There's certain characters that I I've written where like Superman's one strangely where I, he says what he says, like, I, I'm just Mm -hmm. long for the ride. Like Superman's going to do and say whatever he says. My job is to put things in his way, you know, and have some fun. And and like, but I find Superman to be, for me, the easiest character to write. Because I he he speaks to me on such a profound level all the time. Like Doomsday Clock, I knew exactly what he was going to do the whole time. Yeah. Like when Firestorm was like, go, you got to go. He's like, nope, you're going to do this. We're going to figure it out. Like, I'm like, I, I can't like I'm Superman, get out of there and my hands won't let me. Type <laughs> so, but then there are other characters. There are other characters there that, that, you know, you work on and you're like, you never you don't know if you're going to get comfortable with them. It, it, Power Girl was one in JSA where I never particularly gravitated towards the character before I wrote JSA. She, she was fine, but I never thought like, oh, I really I can't wait to write her. Yet when I started writing her, I'm like, oh, my God she's a blast to write she's like she's tough she's got terrible luck like she's got you know she's got an attitude but i understand why like she became this great character to write to me and i, I loved her so much i ended up writing like a solo series with her and jsa classified because i'm like oh my god she became one of my favorite jsa members i don't know how that happened um same thing happened with catwoman when i wrote forever evil i'm like Oh my God, Catwoman's awesome! Like she is mm. so fun to write, um, and uh, there are other characters like the the heart the, the probably the, this is so weird but the scariest character, the Joker, definitely writing Batman Three Jokers. When I got into that script with with Jason, we were talking about it. Like when I was plotting it, I was fine, but when I was scripting it, the Joker is so creepy and scary, and so irredeemable, mm. that I was like, I hope he doesn't know I'm writing him. Like, I don't want him to know I exist. Like, you're almost like, I'm almost afraid. It's like if there's a serial killer next door, you're like, I hope he doesn't know I live here. Like, I I was so kind of, and I knew he wasn't, I knew that he was going to just exist. And I was so kind of creeped out when I was writing him the whole time. It was really a strange, I've never had that experience with any other comic book character that I've ever written, ever, to to feel like a little creeped out. Like it yeah. was not an easy thing to write. It's like there, Grant there, there, used to,
1: Grant yeah, I mean, used to say that the Joker could see the the strings beyond the strings.
2: Yes, that's true. That's scary. But and, <laughs> and also there were three of them, right? So it's like, yeah. yeah, right. Which one is the worst? Though there was one that was the worst. There was one that was the worst. Which one? Is there a is there a character oh, the that you I wish survived. you could have spent more time with? A character that I wish I could have spent more time with. Yeah. There are all sorts of characters out there I, I love. like um, you know my And again, some of it comes down to when I, it wasn't just because Batman and the Outsiders was the first book I ever read, but the story I read was issue 13. It was this really compelling story about Bruce, Batman was poisoned, and Alfred had to reveal his identity to the Outsiders. And they were like, it was so interesting to me, and it hit me so hard because everyone was like, that's why he's Batman. They understood mm-hmm. that he got he watched his parents get shot in front of him that's why he's determined to be batman and suddenly i was like that is so cool because if you don't know that you're like who is this crazy guy in a bat suit with like with planes and stuff but the outside it changed their perspective on who he was and they had to help him survive the night by reenacting the the death of his parents which was traumatic for him but it got him through the night and saved his life i say all this because that story impacted my me here. Like I felt it. And I also was like, what a great and compelling. Mike Barr wrote it. What a great and compelling idea to have the people Batman work, work, work so close with closely with not know who he is or why he does what he does and then find out. And he doesn't know they found out and then find out and have that shared that poor. I remember, I think Halo says it, that poor man or something. And I was like, that's because no one ever has sympathy for Batman.
1: Yeah. Right?
2: yeah. And so in that story, I felt it. And all those characters, I, I bonded with those characters in that moment because of that. So I really like the outsiders. So I'd love to do something with the outsiders. I love Black Lightning. Um Metamorpho. I, I I've always loved Metamorpho. I've uh like I just think those characters either individually or or Katana, I told you mm-hmm. about individually or together, uh, there's something really special for me, about them because of their relationship with Batman, their mm-hmm. understanding of Bruce, and how each of them has their own kind of crime alley experience if you look at who they are. Like, GeoForce actually lost his... Like, his his family was murdered, assassinated. Metamorpho yeah. lost his humanity. You know, uh, um, like, the, each one of them actually has a really compelling emotional backstory that I think could be explored more. And I love that Black Lightning was like an Olympian who then came back and was a teacher. Like he, he could have been like, he could have sold out, but he came back to his, his, he came back to his neighborhood and was a teacher. There's something really interesting about a school teacher being a superhero. Mm. Uh, mm. So I think each one of them, and he's a family man, but each one of them, Halo, Katana, Katana's sword is so insane. Um, I used her in Justice League of America too, because I, I again, I like that character so much, but mm. um but the outsiders would be like, that would be one group. I would really, I'd really like to do something with maybe someday. Um, I also, I love the Legion of superheroes. Um, and Same. I really love, I love working with them with Gary Frank, uh, on the Superman story. We were going to go do a Superman, and Legion book after that, but there was something, they were doing something else with the Legion. So we went and did secret origin instead. Um, mm. but we we're going to launch a Superman, and Legion of superheroes book then, uh, we are also toying with the idea of uh, a Lois Lane book because we love Lois Lane after Secret Origin. We like, we're like, we like, we could do a Lois Lane miniseries. It'd be so fun because she's so tenacious. Like she gets in so much trouble and um, yeah. so fun to be with. She, she was a blast to write. But th- like those are some of the characters, but honestly, I could probably keep sitting here and, and go, oh, you know what? I'd like to I'd like to go back to this character. I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that. I mean, I've always liked the Hulk Um a lot. he's always been my favorite marvel character There, there's so many characters out there that are that are are fun honestly it'd be and, and it's all like people ask me who my favorite character is to write and i'm like it's whoever i'm writing mm-hmm. and, and i don't mean that as like facetiously or as a joke it's just you kind of just have fun i love writing and i just kind of have fun with whoever i'm working with
0: so <clears throat> this this i'm gonna i'm gonna try to nail this word hopefully i get it right because this is a word that uh uh Richard Donner you Superman word verisimilitude,
2: verisimilitude yes yes
0: verisimilitude yes, yes. Mm-hmm. um and it it essentially means the the truth you know the the essential appears authenticity
2: yeah yes appears to be true
0: i think i was I, I was trying to 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 boil down what what i think uh your your best trait is you know when you write these characters And I think it's that I was thinking about it while I was reading Blackest Night. I was thinking about it while I was reading Forever Evil that and even right now, while you were talking and you brought up Bruce and his core trauma and and everyone kind of connecting to him through that and saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy's life um, and what he's had to deal with. And, And I can see it in all these different characters that you've written is that when you approach character when you approach story is that your guiding light is that what you're what you're looking to accomplish is to bring that to this character or the story
2: yeah in a way you know dick had that over his sign in his office right over here he had this kurt swan superman it was wood sign and he had the word on there and it was over his his door and i remember i asked him what is that and he told me he hung those up all over the superman production office and he told everybody we're living in a real world because the first script was so campy, he said everything's real, everything feels real. people react real, they're emotional. Superman the only thing that's not real is 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 super is Superman. so he wanted to make the movie feel as emotionally grounded as possible in reality. That always stuck with me, but it is the it's the emotional truth of it, right It's the emotional i i I always try and and you know. You're like kind of a baseball player. You never bat a thousand, right? Even Babe Ruth struck out, but I'm always trying to hit that ball the right way. So it's emotionally reson- resonating with people mm. that read it because you want, like Aquaman, for, for example, when I wrote that Mi 52 run, I was like, it's such a compelling character because he's of two cultures his oh look at that Aquaman just popped right right up I don't know how you guys keep doing that <laughs> that's it's, Tyler
0: in the background
2: <laughs> Tyler you're amazing uh but I was working on Aquaman and the thing I loved about him is that in on land he's he was kind of a this is before, way before the movie right on land he was kind of a joke right people just saw oh it's Aquaman what can he do on land and they didn't really treat him well in that first issue but in the water he was like a king and mm. yet he didn't feel like he was because he was of two cultures he didn't feel like he belonged to any. And ultimately my story that I wanted to tell was over the course of the two years I was on the book is that he learned not, he he learned that actually he was the bridge between both. That was his responsibility and he was the only one that can do it. And so he was of both worlds and he grew to accept mm-hmm. that. That was my, that was the story I, I wanted to tell. And I really, I really Felt that story mostly would resonate with a lot of people, resonates with me, resonates with a lot of people, is that um, you don't feel like you're at at home. You feel like you're, um, you know, you're an outsider in, to some respects and and those of, of two worlds and coming together. That just felt like a really emotional story. So it, it, that does, you know, inspire like it's the emotional truth to who the character is. Right. You know, and it's hard to it's hard to always un- unlock it and land it. But if you do, everything else falls into place. It's like, like that arc I talked about with the with the asterisk. Yeah. The, everything falls into place if you if you know the story. That's why when I plot, it takes me a while to kind of figure it out. But once I have that, everything just it just builds itself. It's almost like a uh you can't stop the story. It's just gonna fill in, right? If somebody's got a fear of heights, of course, they're, like the story is why and how do they get over it? Like it just it starts to build itself out.
3: It, maybe it's, maybe for me, it's because we just read Blackest Night for, for our book club. Uh, comes out on uh, Tuesday, just so you know. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, you got that, that kind of core truth of the character in like quick bits, specifically, I think like Scarecrow and, and Adam, um, yeah. once they get their respective rings and that, and, and, reading, them like, how did you, you did that so simply and directly. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is just good storytelling here. Like this is Scarecrow right off the bat. Um, just Adam being this being of compassion was just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, sense, and I, so.
2: I, I, I feel like in that case, you know, the rings, they're not just different colors. Like, yeah, the thing that's interesting about them is the emotional content. And again, yeah. it's like, who? Because it was fun. It wasn't like when that was coming out, and I was in San Diego. Everyone's wearing different colored lantern shirts, and it was cool because everyone's like, I'm a rage lantern. You, I'm red lantern. You knew what it meant. Average. Mm. that means you had a sense mm. if you had a, an orange avarice shirt like you have a sense of humor mm, yeah. <laughs> you get, exa- get exactly what this is you never would i'd never look at a uh orange lantern shirt and be like like but w- when they had a red lantern you're like that guy like they're going through some stuff yeah so <laughs> scary whatever it is or if they got a blue one on like everybody you could kind of figure out like and those were the main ones right and then green lantern but you could kind of figure out how everybody was feeling. Yeah, my Red Lantern and- shirt was the most colorful uh, shirt I had during my emo phase. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Like, but but that's why that's why I think those those lanterns resonated. It wasn't because like, oh look, now there's a blue one. It it was about the emotional content of the story and the concept. That was probably as literal as that, and I and I can get pretty literal. But that's probably as literal as I've ever been with emotion, and that's because in my head, Green Lantern. I believe emotion is real and it's a power. If you feel fear, like I was talking about fear, because when I was first working on rebirth, it was post nine eleven. I was like, fear is so powerful. You mm. can't even like I, I can't measure it. Like yeah. how many? How many? Like how do I put fear in a jar? How do I capture it in a in a in a container? You can't. But it's so powerful. And I'm like, it exists. But what if you could capture it? And that's what Green Lantern technology is: is that it takes the fear across the universe and it collects it and condenses it into this emotional energy. So like one beam of, of, of yellow fear from Sinestro's ring probably came from a whole world. Mm, Wow. Like like it's got to concentrate that down so that there's maybe like a spark of power from our planet was just created by, from, from all the fear on the world right now, boom, a spark was created just right now. Boom, another spark, another ember of it. Mm. And it starts to gather. So the more that there's fear in the world, the more we produce, which is why Sinestro wants to terrorize everybody because mm. it's it, it their power. So to me, that that's why those, that, that, that's how it, and I believe that's actually true. I actually believe that emotion is power. We are giving off emotion. We can feel it. The more we give off rage, the more it's going to affect things around us. The more we get love, hope, it does. That that's true. You go into a room, you'll feel it, right? If someone's angry, you're like, "Are you feeling fear? Are you feeling anger back?" Like, you know, there's people who get mad, and then you meet them with that same energy. Like, it's it's real, but it's you just can't see it, you can't can't measure it, you can't can't harness it. But Green Lanterns can, and I think that's mm-hmm. interesting.
0: If you had to say for yourself, uh, which which color on the spectrum you would most align with, which one would it be? Green. Green. Figured.
2: Interesting. Just because, like, green is, like, you just, you got to keep, you got to keep moving ahead. You got to keep, you got to, you got to just, I just have a lot of, I think, drive and getting through stuff, like my sister or whatever, but, like, green, uh, and, again, I'm a Superman You know, you're like, Are you Batman or Superman? I'm like, I like Batman, but I'm a Superman person. Like, so I just, uh, green just feels like the right one. Doesn't mean I don't have other things. Like, one of the, one of the messages of Blackest Night was, We're all of it. Right. Right. Is that we all got to come together because that's what life is. Like, I've got rage in me. I've got avarice. I've got compassion. All the other things. Like, we all have it. All of us are capable of it. Right. All of us are capable of it. And, um, and there'll be different days we feel like different things. Like rage to me, rage is really a a defense mechanism. It's a shield. Yeah. Right. Mm. That's what Ra- That's what when people are wearing Ray lanterns, you're like, just don't. I don't want to be screwed with today. Right. <laughs> I've had enough.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I've read Star's origin. Like if you're. Ready, oh yeah, then. And
2: by the way, Dexter is another example of a I, 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 that character like kind of popped and became like this character. Like they made like became a, like a little bit of a culty character. And i love that character um and their origin makes sense like it's a cool character it's a cat that was super loyal to their owner and then their owners killed in a robbery and the cat is beat up by some people and thrown off a bridge and like saved by this red red ring that just lets it like vomit out its rage right (laughs) um it's like the perfect cat perfect cat metaphor but um, (laughs) uh but but that is like there's also humor to it right we can't take all this stuff so seriously that like we're like it's dead because it's not it can't be like you cannot you can't I take it seriously the emotional stakes have to be real the the physical stakes have to be real but you got to have humor in this stuff too you have to because it's you know it's it just it, it makes it more fun for me like it makes it more enjoyable to to be in
0: we, we just got a comment that I, I think is interesting, and it, uh, the reason why I'm going to bring it up is because it fits into what you just said. Uh, Dan Trudeau says, the other rings are emotions, and green represents the ability to control and harness those emotions. That's how I interpret it. What do you think about that?
2: Um, It's will. Yeah, it is. it is. Uh, that's, that's definitely, Dan, I think a really good observation. I think it's willpower is about, you know, um, I don't know if it's necessary complete control, but at least self-awareness of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and having the where, like kind of, kind of the, the self-awareness to know, like, that's, this is how I feel. And this is why, and this, that's what hell went through. That's really what his journey was. And my run is that he had to recognize the different things he felt because he felt like he was emotionally a little more closed off than he would let on, even though we covered it with bravado. Um, but yeah, it is, I mean, I always saw willpower and courage were, were, were the same kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. for me uh, a lot of people are like willpower is not an emotion i'm like well it's 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 courage it's drive it's yeah. the will to live it's the will to keep living like when the world is hard you gotta you gotta keep going you gotta you can't stop you gotta make a choice you guys all make a choice to do this every saturday that's willpower <laughs> definitely <laughs> and it, and, and, yeah, it, it really is though it's like but it comes from passion it comes from a connection among you guys that you love talking about comics; it's a shared thing. But it is willpower to keep doing it every Saturday. That's that is will. Getting going out of your house to to work—that's willpower. Mm. You know, going like how many people want to go to the dentist? <laughs> my, son, my son's like, I don't want to go to the dentist. So I said, nobody does, <laughs> right? But you got to, right? And so it takes willpower just to do simple things like that. It takes willpower sometimes for me to go in a room with a lot of people I don't know, right? You're like, oh. I'm going to go in anyway overcome my fears i'm going in right sometimes i don't feel so social i'm sure a lot of you guys can can relate to that sure like sometimes going to room with people is is yeah. it's hard to do but you do it but but anyway willpower can be interpreted in a lot of different ways but i think it is just the the strength to keep keep going which is keep living keep moving on which is why i think it's at the center of the, the emotional spectrum and it's so i think it's it's people don't give themselves enough credit for it we all have it but it is, like, everything you're doing does take willpower. It takes, like, I always say that it started when the first sentient life form decided to move. I'm going to move because it took will to move. It takes will to just move my hand. You know, that's your, that's your willing something.
3: I'm just thinking of a, a yellow lantern who's a dentist now,
2: and that is. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Tremendous. i to get one. i love like, it'd be that dentist from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs>
0: Jeff, uh, we could do this forever, and I, I I, have so many questions I haven't even gotten to. I I, w- I don't want to, you know, we want to respect your time, and I also want to make sure the listeners get to ask a few questions before sure. we close out with you. Sure. Um, but there's no way that I could get past DC without bringing up Doomsday Clock. I just have to ask you just one question because I love Doomsday Clock so much.
4: Sure.
0: Um, so with, with Doomsday Clock... When it was first announced, you know, there was pushback because people felt like, oh, you know, this is we shouldn't be doing DC stuff with Watchmen and all that kind of jazz. And I'm sure you knew that that would that that would come up and that that would be a thing. And then it's sort of like once the first issue dropped. And I remember I was saying, like, listen, everybody relax. This is going to be awesome. But once the first issue dropped, it became clear that this wasn't a story about like, oh, what if Superman and Doctor Manhattan punch each other in the face a whole bunch? It it was a story with an emotional core and a resonance and, you know, a big question at play. And it was beautifully told. And so I guess my my question is, like, when you knew that this was going to be the reaction and you sat down to do this, to tell this story, how much pressure and how high did you feel like the expectations were for this to not just be a good story, but to be a great one? Um, and and how much, you know, what was that like for you?
2: Uh, it was a lot of pressure for Gary and I both. Like we actually, it took a while for us to, because I had a kernel of an idea and it was really like, you know, Watchmen's the greatest story ever told in comics, but Superman's the greatest character ever created in comics. And, it was a story of kind of comparing, like I say it in the book, but like Dr. Manhattan's a man of inaction and Superman's a man of action. And so there's all these contrasting ideals between the world of Superman and the world of Watchmen that I thought were really compelling and interesting is that all about making a choice. Um, and we start with like, there's a choice that's going to be made, but, and it's all about people making choices and why they make these choices and the difficult choices to make. But, um, but the pressure obviously was gigantic. And Gary and I, I remember we were, I was in England. We were walking for, we walked together for, he, he was in England too. We were walking together um, for what seemed like an hour. And I and I was talk, talking about the story and we're like, are we gonna do this? And after we talked about it more and more, and we said the environment we're in and the things we wanted to say, and we felt it was a really special story. And by the end of the walk, we're like, okay, let's do it, let's do it um and uh and it was super nerve-wracking you know it was important i think um for us to make sure that it was a story we believed in and it is a story we're super proud of the story mm. uh and it's a beautiful story there it is um but uh but there was a lot of pressure but you know once you start a book you you start it, you you got to just do not everyone's going to love everything you do ever it's just not going to mm. ever happen so you just gotta believe if, if you believe in your story, and we really did, then we were like, we have a story to tell, and it matters, and and it's worth telling. And you can only tell this story with these characters. There's no other there's no other bigger story than Watchmen, and there's no other bigger character than Superman. And you can it's not gonna resonate the same way. What we're what we're gonna say is, you know, about making choices and um and the state of the state of what we thought the world was in at the time and and still is in many respects like so that's th- there was immense pressure um we were both like and Gary he's just like me like we want this stuff to be good we want people to love it no one sets out to make a comic book that no one's like i can't wait for people to be mad at this like that's like nobody wants to do that right but we thought like you know the story is just really important we really believe in it we really <laughs> want to tell it um it's going to be a lot of work and it was a lot of work to tell it but uh, at the end of the day I, I'm so glad we did like Gary and I are so we talk about it all the time like we're so happy we got to do that story and there's moments in it and theme, themes in it and um, you know characters in it that I that I, I just I love there's things there's stuff in it too that I'll never like you know all the Nathaniel dust stuff we love doing that that storyline um, and, and Carver Coleman and the depths of that and telling that story like I don't know if we'll ever quite tackle a story like that and, and told it and will never tackle it told in the same way again there's a lot of there's a lot of work but it was it was it came from a place of us really want really wanting to express you know the the need for choice and the need to analyze like like i love when superman you know by the end superman's kind of inspired manhattan to make different choices
4: mm-hmm. yeah
0: and i and i think the reason why you know so many of the naysayers were silent is because they saw that you had tapped into the truth of these characters. Hmm. And I might not have thought in my mind, oh yeah, Superman is, is, is this, you know, uh, man of action and Dr. Manhattan is this man of inaction and Superman is the most inspirational and Dr. Manhattan's kind of, you know, void of all of that. Hmm. Um, I might not have thought of those things being at play, but they were certainly present in the story. And those were the anchors that carried it through. Um, And it it was just so, so, so brilliant and so special to me. So thank you. And and thank you to Gary because, and and Brad, because it was just, it was so, it was so good. Um, Someone in the chat, uh, Sam Anito asks if there will be a sequel to Doomsday Clock.
2: Uh, uh, You know, I never say never to anything, but we'll see.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you you mentioned the the Golden Age stuff. I do wanna do wanna um you know talk a little bit about that. You have the the Golden Age one shot that's coming out. Uh, the JSA series, um, and the Star Girl Lost Children. All of those are coming out in November. Um, and this this is like you know you talked about like your kind of your your area of DC and your characters that you love, and you're getting a play with all of them again or you know a significant amount of them um what's it what's it been like to sort of get back with them and you know do you have a lot left that you want to say with the characters that you love so much
2: yeah i mean there's new characters i haven't really gotten to work with like the huntress um the new dr fate who i really like uh yeah. but the jsa in general are just it, it's they're always fun to fun to work with you know I, I mean i wrote about 100 issues of the of jsa over the years um I never got, they're the one group I never, ever was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I always just feel like maybe <laughs> because it's, it's their legacies and it's the adventures that I know will go on forever. But um, I just think there's so many amazing characters in there to explore um, and so many stories left for these characters to tell. Like, I find, and again, strangely, they've been around since the 40s, but a lot of them still haven't been completely yeah. cracked open. And that's exciting to me. Mm. um also a chance to work with elana montez wildcat who i really love i worked with her on the star girl show and the character um very different version of that character but i always loved her i grew up reading her in crisis when she first appeared i always thought she was cool but then they killed her off before i started uh in comic then i almost brought her back in the jsa run with dale eaglesham mm. and then, then we didn't and i always wanted to work with that character so i'm excited about that the huntress i'm really excited about her story um but i i the jsa it's about you know legacy and it's about generations and it's about history and it's not just the jsa like the stuff the, the time masters will which we started to play play around with yep. who i find fascinating uh there, there's some really great scenes with them and flashpoint beyond six but the time masters will play a role and 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 in Chil- stargirl the lost children there's there's uh that'll tie into that too in, in a big way that's a it's mm. kind of a, a golden age teenage su- superhero event drawn by the only person that I could do it, todd knock and um oh. and so it's just again fun i wanted to tell stories that there's so many books out there but i felt like there weren't books for these characters and um and they're just you know it's fun to tell these stories and this is it's also fun when the jsa is the only place you can kind of get the jsa and and that makes these adventures kind of matter more to me, you know, um, that you can see their their stories progress. Uh, but it's I love working on these characters. I could work on them forever. That's awesome.
1: So go ahead, Kill. What uh, what's it like coming back to Stargirl uh, in the comics? Do you feel like you've left Stargirl given that you're you know, you you were or are doing stuff on the show?
2: Well, yeah, I've been show running the show for the last three years, living in yeah. Atlanta half the year. So with everybody working like on set every day. So I, I it felt like it was like, whoop, like it felt like I. Yeah, it doesn't. It's weird because it, it was so long ago that I introduced the character and wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't it it feels more refined for me because I've worked on the show for the last, you know, three years. So I, I just the show, the show kind of solidified the character even more in my head. So she's very easy to write. Um, she's always, she's always gung ho. She's a little too overconfident. She's a little bit, um, but she's, she's so willing. I love that yeah. about her. She's so willing to help people. She's so willing to try and do the right thing. Um, part of that is I think deep down, she has an insecurity about her, her own self-worth because of her dad, but it's such a, it's just, that's kind of like the, the universal, you know, eternal pain of that character is that she's not accepted by her father but i find the the character and she finds father figures in the jsa and you know and friends um but i find the character so refreshing to write she's always fun to write even when she's in a bad place she's still fun to write so it's fun to come back and work with Todd knock. you know he's i've known him since i first got into the comics he was drawing young justice and i was doing Yeah, it he was. And, yeah, he was. <laughs> and, and I, I loved i loved what he was doing and so it's it's a joy to work with them on this. And we're deep into, I mean, we're on issue five right now with Girl. So we're, we've we been working on it for a while. And the, the artwork, hopefully they'll, they'll release some pages soon. The artwork is so stunning um, and so beautiful and detailed. I think people are going to be really surprised by it. That's exciting.
3: Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I have a question for you. You know, with yeah. the, the whole new Golden Age coming out, um, any news on your Killing Zone imprint?
2: No, not right now. I just don't have the time to there's an artist that I wanted to use for that, who um, we wanted to do it together. And honestly, if I can't get that art, it's a really special story that ties into what that artist is known for. And if we can't find the time to do it because they're busy doing creator own books right now and I'm busy with a lot of stuff, I probably is not going to manifest anytime, anytime soon.
0: Mm yeah why do it if it's not right if it's not exactly the way you be, want it
2: gotta be it's gotta be with the right artist and i just i don't know if that's gonna line up anytime soon mm.
0: so let let's get it let's get a couple of listener questions in um Great. because uh you know the people were so excited that you were coming on with us uh so uh i'm just gonna read a couple guys uh so ashrak Iman on reddit said uh do you like the freedom creating your own universe with geiger and its world of titles or do you prefer working within the defined and historic universe of dc also thanks for changing my life with your writing even though i'm sure you hear that all the time
2: uh i really appreciate that comment it means actually really means a lot to me um uh thank you for that um uh on the other question i love both i like i love playing in the dc universe and i love creating new universes and new characters. It's they're both fun. They're like, there's, there's, you know, uh, there's only pluses to both of them. There's, it's, it's just, it doesn't, you know, I think, I think there's something really fun about working with characters that resonate with people and you can tell stories through the characters that resonate with people and, and expand those. And there's something really fun about creating brand new things that you're connecting with an audience today with with the characters for now, for this generation because as cool as it is to have, you know, the DC universe, most of these characters were created a long time ago, and and it it is fun to create new characters for today. We're just meeting them for the first time, and, you know, you can have... There's something cool about the Geiger universe, because you can can have every story that's there, and it's not going to be overwhelming. And there's a definitive... You know, ultimately, there will be a definitive end. Like, I think that one of the things that's tough on monthly books is that, bless you, is that for for, like, they will keep going forever. Like, when I re- ended my Green Lantern run, it's like, well, it's gonna keep going, right? They're gonna keep, like, you can't, you can make a definitive ending to your run, but the comics, the characters are gonna continue to exist, so it's always, that's always, like, a, you just have to be aware of it, um, and just know, like, your your run ends, and, like, Peter David's Amazing Hulk run it eventually ends, and then, but Hulk keeps continuing. Uh, and that's, that that is a challenge for when you're working on DC characters there's never really a true ending
0: yeah absolutely and I and, and I think that's what's so interesting about like you know you and and there are certain writers that are so amazing at this like Grant and Scott Snyder where you guys you know you're telling the bigger story but there's also characters that you love that you go back to and it feels like it's your arc with that character that persists not Not regardless of what else happens, but like you'll incorporate what else is happening in the DC universe. But it's very much like I'm returning to say what I have more to say with this character.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think Scott probably is like one of the few people that he did such a brilliant job with that with Batman. Like that is hard to do, right? Like you're doing a gigantic arc with it's like a 10 year run or something with Batman at the center of that that storyline, and that's super impressive because there are so many other Batman stories happening. Mm-hmm. And he was able to make it kind of this gigantic through line through the DC universe that really defined Batman for this, like, this whole generation.
0: Yeah. Was- really, really amazing. Uh, next up, we have one from Link uh, who is on our Discord server. Uh, which classic character do you think could use or deserves uh, the kind of big rebirth return that you did with Flash and Green Lantern. Um, and do you think that in today's landscape, where characters come back from the dead every week, this kind of return still has as much impact as it did back then? Specifically, thinking about Krakoa resurrections in the X Men books.
2: It's interesting. Like, so Blackest Night was a bit of a take on death and lose death, kind of losing meaning, and it was both mm-hmm. the it was supposed to end with, with uh, the idea that death was going to be more permanent right in the dc universe but the mm-hmm. soon after that like new like we're going to bring the characters that everybody wants back now and then we're going to have death because they had killed martian Manhunter, and batman was dead like yeah there were major characters dead that in aquaman we knew how to come back but we were gonna the idea was to make death feel more permanent like after blackest night the revolving door of death had been closed but it's uh. comic. You know that was that it's kind of like after crisis they made time travel like impossible which i mm-hmm. always loved it was cool because they made time travel really really special and then then you know eventually it it, it it got bigger again and it because of i think it was because of the new 52 and everything it did that that debt that kind of death making death more permanent and rule didn't it never really came into fruition fruition and also it's comic books so you know it's just it's just the nature of the, the beast characters keep coming back um but who could come back and and have a big rebirth like flash or green, or green lantern I, I don't really know you know but i was really lucky on green lantern because it hadn't yet had it had great runs like Danny o'neill and neil adams and you know dave gibbon's run um it had great runs but it hadn't quite had that bigger run that you know, that, that broke it up. And like Mark Wade on Flash, he did the Speed Force and changed the Flash forever. Frank Miller yeah. changed Daredevil forever. Changed Batman forever. It's really hard. I think there's been so many like kind of definitive runs of characters now. It's really hard to say like what character hasn't had that definitive run. That's a, that's a well-known character because mm. a lot of them have. So you're mm. like, okay, what character is right for a rebirth style thing? I don't off the top of my head I can't I can't think of one um you know repositioning Martian Manhunter as a bigger character probably is, is something that you could do um because he hasn't been in the spotlight for quite a long time uh, and he's a fairly major character but I, but I I don't know if you know I I don't really know if if there is and I don't know how big big that character I don't know if he could get to the levels with the right right creative team, probably. But I don't know, I don't quite know off the top of my head who is like ripe for that stuff.
4: You know, mm-hmm.
2: and, you can say Blue Devil, That's fine. <laughs> Blue <laughs> Devil, yeah. But there are, I mean, there are so many great characters out there. Uh, there, there, there are teams. Like again, I think like Legion Outsiders, those those care those those ones mm. deserve kind of big, gigantic, like, you know, big huge. I mean there's a lot of teams that don't have books now. Doom Patrol doesn't have a book which is baffling, right? Um mm, yeah, it is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of characters out there. I really I'm playing with the Time Masters. They're super obscure but that's why I love them so much. Mm. Um I find them the, they're the most arrogant mm-hmm. like because they they know everything about the history, history and the future and they're like, I think they look at everybody else as simpletons. Like, look, you guys just lived your lives, but you know what's yeah. gonna happen. Like, <laughs> we're so far ahead of you guys. Like, I just think that there's, they're, they've been a blast to write. I'm writing more of the Time Masters. They're actually really, really fun, obscure characters. I don't need know if a rebirth is necessarily what you know what's happening or what I'm doing with them. It's just, I'm just really using them. It's
1: more of a birth, really. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right
2: though rebirth implies that like they were big at one point and yeah. i don't know what characters i don't know what dc characters were big at one point and then and and, and aren't right now I, I i don't know i'm not sure i've been i've been so so uh my head so much in in junkyard joe and the geigerverse and 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 jsa mm-hmm. that I, I just haven't really looked beyond that
0: Here's one from, uh, from Dan Trudeau, another one from him. What brings you back to comics when you've had success in the TV films film space, which has pulled so many creators away from the industry. And then he also adds those of us in the greater Detroit area, appreciate how you've represented the motor city in your work.
2: Cool. Thanks. I love Detroit. I was just there. Uh, it's a great, great city. Um, well, I love, uh, I love comic books like I I mean, Geiger and Junkyard, just working with Gary has always been something I've you know, I do like I just always will because it's we haven't stopped. Um, but to jump into like Stargirl, it's a mini-series, so it's not too much of a commitment. And Todd and I have been working on it for a while. And JSA was just a chance to get back and do a monthly book with Mikkel Janin. Um, so I pretty much carved out the time to do it. And I, but I love comics. It's hard to like, never like comics are just my first love. Like, mm. so it's mm. I, like, I just got back from Toronto. I was on a shoot for a Titans episode I wrote. I love production, love working with all those people. But I, comics is there's still something magical about comics and these characters. And it's also a chance to go back to Stargirl and JSA. It's hard to pass that up
0: that is gonna be where we leave the listener questions guys uh sorry but like it's just we had so we we monopolized jeff's time we had so many (laughs) questions and thoughts um hopefully we can do this again before we let you go can we play a very quick game with you sure so this is a game that tyler created and i think based on the game and i'll let tyler explain it you are the absolute perfect person to play this with us so Uh go ahead tyler
3: so, okay. so we played this game a couple times, and and, and just forewarning, it's stupid. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's called it's called a I I think I have a soundbite here. I don't know if it works. Give me the green light. So it 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 melds my love of a particular pitbull song called "Give Me the Green Light" with my love of Green Lantern. So essentially, okay. what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you names,
2: and you just tell me if it's a Green Lantern or not. Oh, if if it's a Green Lantern yeah oh 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 just like oh if i know it's a green lantern okay yeah Yeah, it's a yes or no that's all it is
3: uh so uh, the first one i have and they'll they'll be on the screen too so you can see it on the on the stream screen uh the first one i have is jadinklage morgoon oh no (laughs) no sean or sean or do you have
0: a i I mean i'm not gonna disagree with jeff i'm gonna say no yeah
3: that's a no (laughs) so <laughs> Jadinkelage Morgoon is actually a Key and Peel uh comedy <laughs> <sketch character. laughs> oh based on uh his uh college football, their their college football <laughs> sketch. Um so the next one I have is Skirkle
0: No. Say no. So
2: ah. Skirkle
3: actually is a Green Lantern. Oh my the god, <laughs> <fan> <laughs> Green Lantern I've ever seen.
2: No, I do <laughs> know now I'm gonna say this So I think Dave did Dave can draw that. I, I believe so. I think so. Okay, and he I think was, I recognize that, but I know I've never I've never come across that uh in all my years. <laughs> I've never crossed across that so, game. Funny
3: enough, okay. he appears very, 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 very small in the Blackest Night splash page when all like the dead green lanterns come back. Um and he's like yeah. you can barely see him.
2: Uh, That's hilarious. Then he's I did there. list him somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I wonder how he died. I hope it was a heroic death. <laughs> uh,
3: apparently, not because his race, the, the Krizaks, uh, were never allowed to have another Green Lantern. So uh,
1: <laughs> he did something. So couldn't have been that great.
2: No, no. Uh, and the other it's one like I have. He's had... wearing a sweater, by the way. See the bottom of his. The yeah, yeah, his it's shirt. got a hem. Yeah, it's got like, a, yeah, it's got like this weird <laughs> hem to it. That's he goofy. He understood
3: uh, merch sales. That's, that's what he understood. Oh. Um, and then the last one I have is Blothar the Berserker.
2: I don't think so. I'm so. going to say no. No you know he's not. Wait. What? Oh, okay. Oh, I already answered it. Oh,
3: you, I, you I, <laughs> yes, chance. okay. Kale's okay, going to say yes.
1: Listen, uh, he was yeah. wrong on the last one. I was going to bet yeah. against him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Blothar is actually one of the members of uh the metal band Guar. Wow. Oh, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the most uh uh safe for stream picture I could find of him. That's for
2: sure. <laughs> oh my! god, That is. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't yeah, want to search it. I may, maybe my I'll get locked out of my computer if I do a search on it.
3: <laughs> I might be on a watch list now for preparing for the show. So. <laughs> that's
0: so funny. That's well, so funny. So okay, that's that's still pretty good. Uh, two yeah, out, of, two yeah, out of three.
2: Yeah, two out of three. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for playing. Uh, we yeah, appreciate awesome. it. And 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 honestly, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I don't know that you do too many interviews, so it really means a lot that uh, you yeah, stopped by with us. Yeah, you guys
2: um, asked, I was like, sure.
0: <laughs> and and we've had a blast. It's been it's been phenomenal. Is there anything that you would like to leave the 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 listeners with? Uh, you know, a message uh, and anything that you feel like you'd like to say as kind of like a parting message.
2: Uh, just thanks for reading the books and thanks for listening to the show and. And, um, and, uh, you know, if you see somebody with a comic book, talk to him. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's how I met my best friend. Um, but I, I and give some, give someone that, you know, a comic book. Like I think getting people to read more comics is, is key to, key to this business surviving and, and, and continue on. And I, I, you know, we're creating one of the things, the reasons to creating Tiger and Jar Joe is to find, you know, a comic book where you can give Junkyard Joe to somebody who doesn't need to know anything right and and that's another reason gary and i are are doing new books is because we want to bring in new readers new fans young and old however they get into comic books get them into comic books because again the shared passion for comics i think it's really powerful and i think it's important and it's a great art form that um that should only be growing
0: yeah absolutely And, and speaking of of comics growing um this is just the one last question that I had. Uh, there are so many creators in our community, so many people that love and are passionate about comics that are making them. We have a, uh, a something called a Discord server, and there people share their work with us, the, the work that they're trying to get cool. put on Kickstarter and all these different cool things. You've existed. You've been around for so long in this industry and have seen it change. Well, I, I, respectfully, <laughs> let me get my walker. <laughs> but but you you know you've seen it change when it comes to new creators. What is the the sort of message, and the thing that you you feel like they need to know about stepping into comics and trying to make it right now?
2: Well, I mean the greatest thing about now is that if you write and draw, you can put it up somewhere so people can see. Like I, that's just make, just create. Mm. I can't tell you how many writers I meet that are like, I want to be a writer. I'm like, cool. I'll read something. Like, you want me to read one of your scripts? Well, I haven't finished it yet. I'm like, okay, when you get it done, I'll read it. Mm. And I never get them. like, wow. Because a lot of people don't follow through and finish the the, the script or, the, or draw or whatever. Just get your work out there. Finish the script. Even, I tell the story all the time, but the first time I got my driver's license, I drove down the driveway and I hit the tree at the end of the driveway and parents were pissed whatever put it in the car the next time I drove down the driveway I I didn't I learned not to Mm -hmm. you're going to write a really bad script to draw a really bad drawing that's okay do not be afraid my first book got canceled because of (laughs) those sales I think the last issue of Stars and Stripe probably sold like 3,000 copies so it's okay like when you mess up or fail or or you don't quite hit the mark of Or the bar of where you want to go, that's part of life, you just got to keep trying. Um, And you'll write a bad script, you will write two bad scripts, the third script might be good. Or you might rewrite something. But don't be afraid to write a bad script. Don't be afraid to draw something that doesn't look perfect. Like that's, that's really key, because it's never going to be I don't know how many people like even with a recipe, get it nail it the first time you know it usually takes a while to get this stuff right it takes a long time to learn how to craft stories i remember when i was like how do you endings are hard like how do you do these endings and i was working on the ending of sinester core i wanted greenliner 25 i'm like i want it to be massive the best thing i've ever written and i'd go through all my other books and go okay that ending didn't work that one didn't work why didn't it work and i looked at what did i do wrong mm-hmm. And then I tried to apply it to Green Lantern 25. And, and I'm really, really proud of that book. That's one of my favorite endings that I've had the pleasure of working on. And, and I'm like, that ending, I love that ending. When when Kyle and, and Hal are powerless with Sinestro, hand-to-hand fighting across Coast yeah, City, yeah. Like, like proving that they've got what it takes without the rings, fighting together side by side. This was like too after everyone was like, I like Hal, I like Kyle. I'm like, yeah stop fighting like what are you talking about green, of green lantern. why are people mad at, at another green lantern like let them all exist like and and it was really but for me more it was like just that moment of coming together and that was cinematic right there's moments where they're smashing out a window mm. landing onto a building again and it's cross-cutting with like you know the other lanterns fighting the sinester core on earth and it was it was it felt very for me it felt very satisfying and 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 anyway, but it took me a long time to get there. And and I I think people should be patient and kind to themselves when they're creating art. It's mm-hmm. okay. Don't don't feel like you're, you're you're bad because you wrote a bad script or you drew a bad picture. Just keep trying. If you really want to do it, you'll keep trying. That's the willpower. That's being a Green Lantern. Just keep going. So that that's what I'd say to anyone that wants to be a writer, anyone that wants to be an artist, anyone that wants to get in business. Do not be afraid to do your first. Script or, or comic or whatever, and it's not perfect. You know, look at the canceled book I did. Stars and Stripes got canceled. Ultimately, I made it into a TV show. Like, that's pretty awesome.
0: Wow. Like, you know,
2: and that took willpower because I was trying, I wanted to do something for my sister. I wanted to keep that character alive. I wanted to, I knew that the character had potential that could go beyond it. And so to be able to do that, like, I did three seasons of that show. When, when we sold it to DC Universe, I'm like, streaming, probably three seasons. Right. So I really had a three season story. If we get more great. But if it's three seasons, I got to tell my story. And that's a trilogy of stories that I've got for Stargirl with all the changes going on now. It's it's tough out there. But the but 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 don't give up. Just don't give up. It don't be like it's too hard. Because, it, you know, the best thing about writing is that it's free. Drawing is free. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay anybody to do it. Just do it.
0: Wow, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who heard that message that feel like me, uh, just full of gratitude for that because uh, you're you're 100% right, so thank you. Sure. Remember, guys, uh, Junkyard Joe is out October 5th. Uh, go pick that up. Pick up the black and white edition. That is going full proceeds are going to two different um, – Good causes. National Coalition for Homeless Veterans in the U.S. and Veterans Aid in the U.K. Every dollar and cent of the black and white edition goes right to those causes. And then Mad Ghost is putting an additional $2 up So for every sale. So go out and pick that up. Jeff, thank you so, so much.
2: Thank you guys. It was a blast.
0: Listeners, uh, live on Twitch, uh, the rest of us, the three of us, will be right back. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll close out the show.
3: Hello! Oh no, our things are broken. Okay. Oh, everything's broken. Hold on. Oh. Okay.
0: Hold on. Uh, Hold on. on. Oh yeah, that is that uh, is broken. But they can hear us, right?
3: Yeah,
0: they can hear us. All right. Oh boy. Uh, that was unbelievable. We. I have chills. I. I mean, we are all like, that was wild. Two hours with Jeff Johns.
1: I. I never, once in the time in the 6 years 7 years we've been doing this podcast this i i said this and i still mean it i never once thought we would get this right i didn't and, think it
3: was real <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like up until this
3: morning when he got on the zoom call i'm like oh that's yeah. that was a legit thing okay and i and i
0: want to say again huge thank you to Brian Cunningham because um this wouldn't have happened without you and 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 you know Just to give you guys a little bit of the inside like you know brian reached out to us like you know we we didn't jeff johns is such a that's the mountaintop you know what i'm saying we've 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 thrown around a lot of names to try to get on the show or interview at events and a lot of times not because those not because of that person but because of the red tape it's very difficult to get interviews
1: with you know creators of that stature but for In, interviews alone, like yeah. even at comic cons, like we got to Snyder and Capullo last year, and we've been trying that even before this, and that was five minutes,
0: and we busted our asses to get that, and we waited around for a long time to get that, and this one, you know, someone reached out to us, and I, and I want to say like heartfelt thank you to the listeners for listening, for sharing, for liking, for subscribing, because you never know who's watching, and you never know how someone finds you. But all of that, the totality of all of that is that we get to do cool shit like this. And that's why it's important to us to get the listener questions in there when we get an interview like that. Because you guys are the reason that this stuff happens. And we're so, so grateful. That was something I'm never going to forget. Yeah. I I don't want to say it. It should be private. But, like, Kale just had a moment that, like, I'm sure you'll never forget. Like...
1: Yeah, uh, and and not to say not to say that uh, I'm going to take advantage of it, but I I think we should chase it.
0: Yeah, like I it's 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 unbelievable and it's incredible. And everybody that watched that watched live that showed up to check this out, um, thank you so much for coming and watching. Um, I also
3: uh I like the subtle flex during the whole interview of him with a Superman the movie poster behind him that's obviously yeah, right. signed by like everyone. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, that was a
0: that was a, an awesome poster. Um, it, it just incredible. And he was so giving. Like, you know, when we do these interviews on the show, a lot of the times the creator is a little bit more comfortable because they're in their house or whatever. They're we're all yeah. chilling, and we talk to them before the interview starts, and we kind of build a rapport. When you're at Comic Con or something like that, you know, you get those. Answers that are like a sentence or too long, and you're like, Oh shit, you have to carry it sometimes. Jeff was so excited to talk about comics that he said, Hey, however, whatever you guys want to do, however long you want to go, and we can talk about whatever you want.
1: It's and he was so open. (laughs) 7 a.m. Yeah. I don't even want to think about comics at 7 a.m. I don't
3: want to think at
0: 7 a.m. That's when Sean goes to sleep. Yeah. Uh, just a remarkable conversation. Um, and like I, uh, woo, special. What even got it?
3: my dad to come into the Twitch chat? My dad learned oh, how to yeah. use Twitch for this. I think.
0: Why? Oh my god! Thank That's you. The next Thank you, Dad. We have to do. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I would love to do that interview. Believe me. Um, we're not gonna do any news or anything like that. All the like Deadpool three, Hugh Jackman, all that jazz. We're not gonna do that. We'll save all that for next week. Um, we'll do a proper show uh, you know, with the normal, you know, trappings. Go
3: not not normal, because we were doing oh, right. a special time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> both, yes, both thank episodes. you so much. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh so I I, I just lied because next week is Comic Con. <laughs> um and so all, we're man. not doing a normal show. Next week we're actually not even doing the show on Saturday because Saturday morning we're gonna be on the show floor and we'll be at Artist Alley and we'll be doing interviews and we'll be you know, doing all that kind of cool stuff that we do. If you happen to be at New York Comic Con and you see us there, please come up, say hello. Uh, if we're comfortable, shake hands, uh, whatever, you know, whatever, however that shakes out. We love meeting you guys. It's always awesome. So please do come out. Uh, again, we'll be most likely, if you want to see us, it'll be an artist alley. The show we'll be doing live on Sunday night. Okay. Um yeah, yeah, Kale, you are not, a right. not doing a
3: show. What <laughs> you get a week off, Kale?
0: Yeah, um, we'll do it on Sunday night, uh, seven, six, in, seven
3: in person,
0: in person. Yes, so I have in to person, make a whole
3: new overlay which, um, that's a reminder for myself,
0: right? Hey. Um, <laughs> we'll, share out, we'll share out the time, uh, that we'll be doing the show when we get closer to it, um, but expect around six or seven, like Palace Pool's time, um. Six, on, Sunday. Be, on Sunday. On Sunday, yes. Yeah. On Sunday, 6, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we will be reporting live with all of our thoughts from New York Comic Con. All the big announcements. We'll talk about interviews we did, fun stuff we got to see. All that jazz you can expect next Sunday, uh, Sunday uh, night.
3: And we're going to play a new game, too. It's uh, called uh, How Long Until Sean Can't Stand the Allergies from My Cat. I'm working on the name. Uh,
0: but <laughs> That should be fun. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. That that yeah, we that's going to be shun, a grand shun, uh,
3: doped up on Claritin. <laughs> <to see. laughs>
0: yeah, um, so that's it. That's it. Uh, really, we just came back to kind of unwind and express gratitude and let you guys know that uh, again next Sunday we'll be uh, uh, doing the show. Also, instead of Thursday for Palace Pools, it'll be Wednesday. Because Thursday will also be at New York Comic Con. So Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern for Palace Pools. Sunday at 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern for the main show. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it eternally. Uh, If you want to support the show beyond showing up here, uh, there are plenty of ways you can do that. The absolute best way is patreon.com slash comicspals. If you enjoyed that interview, if you enjoy our show, if you enjoy what we do, Patreon gives you more of what you love um that's what we want it to be that's what it is um it's a place where if you're a fan of ours you can come you can get more of us we've got an exclusive show over there called palling around uh in fact i will not let an episode go by without shouting out the names i kind of wish i had done it while jeff was here but you were uh,
3: were almost out of breath
0: yeah and i I really really didn't want to uh i just didn't want to belabor it i want to get right into things but uh $10 or more gets you a superhero or a supervillain nickname red on the air. So I want to say thank you to these beautiful people. Thunderstruck, Rebecca Alejandro, the Night Stalker, Harris Leginsky, Brian Demolish Del Pozo, Random Rocio, Kefis the Incorruptible, The Great Destroyer, Hyper Viper 89, Momentum Mike Elliott, Starcross Catherine Stars, and the Ultimate Fighter Snake of Talents. Thank you all so much for your continued support. We really appreciate that. Uh twitch.tv slash the comics pals is where you can watch us live. If you miss this live, I'm sorry. Don't miss our New York Comic Con conversations. Um, as I mentioned, that's gonna be Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It might Easter. be a
3: little wild too, because when people come over my apartment, I like to give them drinks. So uh
0: there's never been a live episode of the Comics Pals that we were all together, or you know, any amount of us were together that I didn't drink. So,
1: yeah, Yeah. it gets it gets weird when we're all together. Yeah. Oh, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Please believe it. Um, (laughs) Let's let's get to the plugs real quick.
1: Kale. Thank you so much for listening and enjoying this red letter day along with us. Thank you so much again to Jeff Johns uh, for coming on the show. Uh, I cannot believe we've jumped the shark like this. It's wild that this is the end of the comics, pals, but. Listen, it's been seven years. So it's been a great run. Uh, you can find me and my work, and Jeff Johns can find me and my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. You can find me Find me on Twitter and Instagram at TotoInto. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W.
0: Uh, also, i just like to point out that Mad Ghost Productions just followed us on, on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Fuck kidding. me. Yeah, that's pretty uh, sick.
3: You're too far for that, Cal. Sorry.
0: No, listen, <laughs> that's a, that's stuff keeps going this way. I won't be.
3: <laughs>
0: um, Tyler,
3: uh, you can follow me at the Tyler Olson on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, what can you talk about? Um, tweet at me about the new uh, Hasbro Marvel Legends that got announced yesterday. I'm big on the big on the toy front, and it's nice to see Ooh. Jeff Johns also also a fan. So,
1: what's the best one? Uh, there's a new
3: Phoenix, Dark Phoenix. I said the um, best
1: one. <laughs>
3: spiral. There's a spiral. All right. Yeah. Spiral. Uh, um, um a 3-pack with Bullseye, Electra with the hair from the Miller uh, like, like era and a new Daredevil on like the new body and he's got like a posable feet too. Oh, it's good stuff.
1: Okay. Well, there we go. The feet. Yeah.
3: God
1: damn it. Always. <laughs> uh as wait, for me, wait, wait, one thing on, Sean, sorry before we yeah. bring it up.
3: I like how Jeff brought up Wildcat and not us. Yeah, I was right? on the cusp of, of up <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, Wildcat. But if it yeah. listen,
1: if anybody was
0: gonna True, true. And and you know, far be it from me to tell Jeff Johns that he's wrong for enjoying Wildcat, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. I'm just really happy right now. Uh, I don't really have any thoughts outside of just gratitude and happiness and excitement for Comic Con. So hopefully, you guys will take that journey with us. Follow us on social media. We'll be posting updates all throughout the weekend. Thank you so much for listening. For Tyler and Kale and Marco, I'm Sean saying the Comics Pals are signing off. Take care, guys.
1: See you next week.